There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. I don't like blood and guts. But I love them when they're lengthily discussed. This is only the second episode of our yuppie nightmare season, and I'm already bummed that we're this far in. You know what I mean? Like, I don't want it to be over. I know what you mean, Matt. It's like, um, exactly. Uh, it's like you get out of school. It's the last day of school. You're out. You feel that joy. And then it's like a week later and you're already mourning that summer is... Yeah. <laughs> so yes, one weekend, two weeks now, done. This is like, I think we've talked about this. Um, Sundays are hard to enjoy because they're the day before you go back to work. Mm. Fridays are awesome, even though you're working, because the weekend yes. lies ahead of you. And the Thursday nights are the... the um, or d'oeuvre, or or the uh, uh, what's the, is there any sort of uh, cuisine where you get like a little candy treat before you start eating? Well, is yeah, isn't don't the French sometimes eat dessert before? That just sounds. They like think a of everything. They're smart. Well, let's say it's that. Yeah, is that a true Zen master? Doesn't become one with the universe. They learn to appreciate a Sunday. And an ice cream sundae. I know. I've thought this, Matt. I've thought before. I said to somebody, I was like, if I could just figure out how to make boredom and ennui or like frustration, daily frustrations, interesting and the stuff of life, Mm. then I'd be set. And somebody was like, I think that's what Zen is. I was like, oh, okay. (laughs) Maybe I should look into that. Well, spoken like a true couple of yuppies, here we are. This is with Gorley and Rust. I'm Matt Gorley. (laughs) I'm Paul Rust. And uh, yeah, Uh, 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 we are a couple couple yuppies. um, And uh, we are celebrating these yuppie nightmares. Yeah. Um, Now, whereas in Fatal Attraction... The 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 stuff of it was married couple uh, experiencing the horza or the 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 
suspense mm-hmm. of an adulterous relationship. This right. is if to if a if a yuppie couple decided to rent out a space, but I'm getting ahead of myself, Matt. Uh, but hey, oh, I was thinking just to let people know all the movies that we got ahead of us mm-hmm. on with Gorley and Rust. I'll say the order. And if you want to say your accompanying antonym titles, you got to start okay. from the Because I loved that last time. <laughs> okay. And I love the title of the movie we're covering today Pacific Heights, AKA Atlantic Depths. <laughs> and last week was. Uh, did we? It was Fatal Attraction, yes. Vital Repulsion. <laughs> right. The sequel to Roman Blansky's Repulsion. Uh, so, okay, okay. So then next week, if people are putting up their calendar right now, and they can listen to all of these one week earlier at patreon.com slash with Gorley and Rust, but uh, 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 next week is Sleeping with the Enemy. Waking with the friend, I guess. Waking <laughs> I think last week ally. you said ally. Waking with the ally. Yeah, I think that's better. Waking with the ally. All of these, I like to think of what these antonym titles are. So, like, Atlantic Depth sounds like a Atlantis, in search of Atlantis sea adventure. Yeah, definitely a submarine adventure of some kind. Yeah. And at least more descriptive than this movie is as a title. Yeah, just a location. Doesn't even have kind of like a... a a play on words. It's not like no. from great Pacific heights you will fall. Or that's that's like. the most I could do it, and I think I was yeah. doing it a service by saying like this yuppie couple is like living the high life, and it's brought down. But that's obviously not the intention. It doesn't no. make sense. I know it's the name of the neighborhood, but that's that's it's just well, what, it's only one level. Yeah, I think we need later to talk about what a better title might have been. Ooh, I love that. Yeah. Oh my gosh. That's really good, man. Save it. We'll put a pin in that. Batman 2. <laughs> would have been a surefire hit. I know. The summer after Batman comes out. You want to get nuts, Drake? Let's get nuts. <laughs> but yes, sorry, uh, I was getting ahead of myself. Uh, 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 and then after sleeping with the enemy. Now, this is a title that has multi layers of yeah. rules The Hand That Rocks the Cradle, The Foot That Rolls the Grave. <laughs> and what do you think? That movie is, Matt. <laughs> you know, honestly, what I think that is, the hand that rocks the cradle, if you take that kind of in its in its like le- symbolic meaning, is the the person watching over the baby. Yeah. So this is the foot that rolls the grave. It's the person left behind that was raised by that person that died that now comes to Ooh, visit the movie. grave and comfort the ghost. Like an undertaker? Or I'm thinking like the person that whoever looked over the baby originally then died and that baby comes and visits and tends to the grave. That's what I think this is the actual sequel to The Hand That Rocks the Cradle. Yeah. And you know how you have to like um, when somebody's uh, uh, bedridden, you have to roll their body Mm -hmm. to keep it fresh. So that person goes and rolls the corpse. Yes. And uh, they have to till the corpse. With their foot? Yes. Of course they do it with their foot. It's a foot tiller. Now, The Hand That Rocks the Cradle is then followed up by, I believe, not Raising Cain, but... uh, I don't don't remember either. Is it not Raising Cain? Oh, Consenting Adults. 
consent. Oh, no, Raising Cain is first. It is. Okay, okay. sorry, sorry, sorry. Lowering Abel. Very good. Very okay. good. Uh, and I guess uh, that's a, a movie about um, the sequel to the Cain and Abel story where uh, he helps his brother move into a basement apartment. <laughs> he's come around. Yep. And he's his like, brother's been resurrected. Yeah, but he's like, hey, man, I know you can't fully forgive me for the things I did, but at least give me a chance. Let me help you move into your new basement apartment in the Garden of Eden or wherever they are. Yeah. Do you think when he was moving into their apartment and Cain was like um, setting up the the rock fountain in the backyard with the, the koi pond and he was like picking up the rocks, Abel's like, oh, easy there, easy. Hey, hey. I don't like where this is going. Cain's uh, like, I get it, but you got to forgive. And, <laughs> when are you going to forgive me on this? I know. Brother? I'm going to be followed. That's going to follow me my whole life. Uh, yeah. That would be if Abel survived Cain's attack, and then Cain is like the typical like dick older brother who's yeah. like, "When are you gonna let me off the hook on this, bro? Jeez. I tried to kill you once, <laughs> once. Some brothers try to kill their brothers multiple times." Uh, uh, okay, so we can run past consenting adults yeah, because it's really icky. it's as it's as icky as potentially this movie's gonna be non consenting children just. Oofta. Okay, yeah. so uh, after that, then it's uh, Sliver, which might be my favorite. Swath. Swath. Yeah. <laughs> and that is about uh, a person who moves into an apartment building. and I, I don't even know what, sl- what Sliver is in reference to the title, so I couldn't yeah, even tell I you what either. Swath is. I, in my imagination, because I've never seen this movie, I so I I, I'm looking for an answer where they go... Don't you get it, Madison? The sliver's your heart. <laughs> or something like that. That'd be really good. Yeah. But I, in my mind, because I thought it was about voyeurism, it's about like looking through a sliver of a a door or there's a sliver of yeah. something you can look through. A, a crack or, in the boards yeah. or something. Yeah. But that seems a little, it just sounds like, maybe it's um that Nirvana song. There was a tie with that. Because oh. um, whenever I look at those, I think silver. I know. I keep misreading it too. Sliverado, <laughs> sliver streak. I keep misreading sliver as silver and swath as saw. <laughs> saw, and that's like SWAT the- H. <laughs> it's about a SWAT team that works at a hospital. Swath, SWAT H, the hospital SWAT team. Yeah, SWAT, SWAT H. Oh my god, we've got a cardiac arrest victim who's also taken the fourth floor hostage. <laughs> Probably we don't even need to go, but still. And you would want a swath of a SWAT team like covering something, so it does yeah. work on yeah. multiple levels. Yeah, this is tight. And then our final yuppie nightmare of the series, and I'm already welling up with tears just even saying, and the final. Me too. Just even uh, theoretically. Uh, fear. And courage. Courage. Yeah. I wonder if they think there's a movie called, I know there's Courage of the Caravan that Ewoks movie. Oh, yeah. And Courage Under Fire. Yep. There's got to be a multitude Just a movie called movies. Courage. There's got to be. A, do that a double feature with your beloved Victory. Oh, yeah. Courage and Victory double feature. And Glory. <laughs> glory. I've never seen Glory. Oh, I love Glory. You were so... You got exposed to the really handsomely crafted 
big budget Hollywood dramas yeah. of that time, like Dead Poet Society, mm. Glory, these movies that just have like a luster. Those two the specifically. Oliver Stone movies. The Glory and uh, Dead Poet Society hit me like a ton of bricks, both because I was in high school at the time. I saw Glory in the theater with my dad. Never seen my dad cry at a movie before. That wow. movie made my dad cry. What a scene, do you remember? Or just, just the, a, but when the, the lights came up. Wow, that's cool, dude. Yeah, and then uh, Dead Poets I saw on VHS, but that one, you know, changed my life. It's true, I can say yeah. that movie changed my life. Not even necessarily for the better. But no, but but it you, did. like in terms of uh, loving art and like dedicated I wish it was that it was more the carpe diem thing of like go go do crazy stuff that's perfect that's what you were 16 when you saw that movie that's exactly what you have to hear at that time I know but I think maybe well I think if you didn't do that you'd be a fool and you'd live a life of regret I suppose but it's possible to regret being too carpe diem meaning I just was just too goofy. And I also got it out of my system too early, which that I'm actually not hmm. regretful of. So I don't really have any carpe diem left in me. And I don't mean that in a bad way. I love life. Yeah. I just don't feel I need to seize the day anymore. I let the day seize me. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. I remember I was talking to somebody once. Um, I didn't uh, uh, start drinking or whatevering until my late twenties. Yeah. I kind of mostly too. Yeah. And I was talking to somebody once about how I was like, Oh, I do regret that in college after college, I might've deprived myself of really fun experiences because I wasn't doing that with a group of people who were and kind of at an age where, yeah. If you're going to go wild and carpe diem it up, mm-hmm. that's the time to most do it. And, oh, I missed out on that. And uh, the person who I was talking about this with was uh, in had been in AA for years. And she was like, that's so funny because the thing I only hear all the time is people going, if I could just go back to when I was in college <laughs> and after college and have been sobered up in some way uh-huh. so I could have enjoyed those moments and have memories of them. So... I guess it's a real grass is greener I think it is. And it can only be either or. <laughs> yeah, it can't. <laughs> There's no way to balance both. <laughs> um, but uh, the other thing, too, when you were saying that your dad was uh, as beautiful as you saw him crying at glory. Do you want to know the first thing I saw my dad tearing up at? And I was tearing up at the same time. What? Um An episode of Perfect Strangers. <laughs> <laughs> where they find a dog they think they're gonna get the dog they realize this is the old hackneyest story of the world somebody's looking for that dog so the dog they love they have to give back oh. to the rightful owner and we had just i think given up a, given away a dog to somebody because it, it was just a really really problematic oh, no. dog and it broke our hearts it was just like it chewed up the fence in our backyard and dug up all these holes it like oh. beethoven our house oh, no. and so very regretfully we had to give this and i think 
maybe my father and I didn't have a container for those feelings. Clearly. So I remember we were sitting down in the basement on the couch. Balky's giving, Larry and Balky are giving up that dog and we oh. just like cry together. Uh, I'm trying, my dad is a softy and I've seen him cry all the, a bunch. I don't want to say all the time, but just, yeah, he's, he's good. He's a good, good softy. But I'm trying to think of what movies. It's interesting though. I don't have many movie memories. Yeah. Of him. Really, only that comment about 21 grams from last week <laughs> seems to be the main reaction to me. Uh. <laughs> you know, just to add to the mystique of Pasadena and South Pasadena and all these movie yes. locations that we talk about. And the sex cult stuff, too. Oh, yeah. yeah, I mean, that's it's so awesome. You got to join the area. Patreon if you really want to know about that. You have to let join it. the Patreon if you really want to know about that. <laughs> Go to patreon.com slash with Gorley and Russ. Get feature length commentaries, bonus episodes, episodes or, cozy awards, yes, and sex cult episodes. episodes. Where we just blow the lid off the Seth. South Pasadena sex cults of the nineteen yeah, of the post-war era. Not as an expose, but we outdo them so much that they become irrelevant. We blow them out of the water. Like we have to give it up to you guys. Yeah. Anyway, <gasps> Bronson Pinchot lives in South Pasadena. Okay. <laughs> With his mother. Hmm. This is what I'm told by his back neighbor, who was a friend of mine, and was told by Bronson Pinchot, please keep it down, because Bronson Pinchot has a little back uh, dwelling above the garage in the back of the property. It's kind of like a craftsman two-story house. And I think he does his voiceover and auditions up there. So he was asking them to be quiet. They kind of seemed to say that he was kind of cranky. Good golly. I would not want a cranky pincho showing up at my door. Oh my God. Being like, can you keep it down? Krabby Balky? Can you imagine? A Krabby Balky? A Krabby Balky? Um, on the balcony? A Krabby Balky on, on the balcony. The balcony. Um, I was trying to think for the two, like Bronson Pincho backyard pontoon or something. I couldn't think of but pontoon. It's awful. Bronson pinch yourself. Am I dreaming? No, he lives there. <laughs> Charles Bronson pinch yourself. <laughs> um, uh, gosh. Throw a rock and you're going to hit somebody here in South Pasadena who yeah. is uh, in TV and films. My, uh, I knew somebody who lived... Um, in the same apartment complex as Eddie. Decent, decent. That's weird. That was the first thing I thought of. Yeah, because uh, you were looking into my eyes. You're like Eddie decent. <laughs> uh, uh, they lived in the same oh. apartment complex as Eddie decent. I was telling somebody once. Uh, oh, I like Eddie decent, even though I couldn't remember his name there. Yeah. Uh, and Eddie Deason is like one of only two celebrities I've ever walked up to and shook their hand and been like, thank you for your work. And he went, oh, thanks. Oh, who was uh, the other? Uh, maybe just Eddie Deason. Okay. Oh, oh, um, a mad writer who I. Oh, uh, I, <laughs> that's so, awesome. Yeah. Eddie Deason and a mad writer. I it's love it's when I think somebody would appreciate yeah, being acknowledged for right. their work. Yeah. Uh, both times they were, yeah. seemingly. Uh, so Eddie Deason, they lived with in the complex, and they noticed Eddie Deason's mailbox door was open, 
like, you know, when you're at an yeah. apartment, you know, all the mailboxes, his was open. And I think with the keys still in it. And so my friend took the keys out, closed the door, followed the room number up to the, the apartment number. Eddie D's had answered it. <laughs> and it was like, oh, thanks. I got a residual. So I was so excited. I left the key in there. And then he took the key and closed the door. Oh, that's heartwarming. <laughs> I know. I get it. Oh. Sometimes you do get a little flustered when you get any, not a residual, but just anything fun in the mail. Was he, tell me at least he was living in a nice apartment. I, I would hate to think that Eddie Deason is kind of. Oh, um, yes. Yes. I don't believe you. <laughs> oh, no. Well, I think recently Eddie Deason um, has gotten into recent trouble. So just like. Has he? Yeah, so when you were saying, like, where, wonder where he lives, I was like, oh, well, I think now, speaking to that, it seems not, what trouble did not he the best. Um, oh, D's Meister. Uh, he might have um, medical issues. I, 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 oh, like mental health issues. Oh. Yeah, so. Oh, well. Hey, you know I love the D's and. You know I love the Deason. You going Deason later? Uh, okay, listen. This is what we do. This is with Gorley and Rust. It's yeah. an at-length cozy cast this season's Yuppie Nightmares. Yeah, we got to walk up the hill to get up to the Pacific Heights up on top of the hill. That's exactly right. Now, if you subscribe at the highest level on Patreon, you get your name read out. Just uh, email us Ooh. and let us know. Yeah. If you're a baby xenomorph at Rust at gmail.com. Shay Scranton is one of our baby xenomorphs and would like the Southern Lawyer to read his name. <laughs> Joshua Lopez... Uh, it's a lot of text. Oh, gosh. Oh, I uh, can't. You uh, do you, Gorley. Oh, it's all. Oh, but you know what? It's worth it because it's, you know what his whole email is? All pledge and no name makes Josh Lopez die tonight. And it's that repeated over and over, <laughs> and over again. Wow. Uh, Jonathan Wagner. Uh, but his name is Marius Gray. Okay, I'm confused. <laughs> and Stephen Clifford. All right, those are your baby xenomorphs for this week, and it's time to get into Pacific Heights. Yeah. So is there any more well, business? Uh, I don't believe so. I was going to th say, though, speaking of uh, the Patreon, we have, um, you know, we put up the episodes. People share their thoughts. And... Um, And and they'll share their episodes, uh, their thoughts on the movie sometimes. And somebody shared a thought, uh, a comment that uh, well sort of works as a segue from us talking about the Patreon to talking about Pacific Heights. Um, so I'm just looking for this comment. While you're doing it, I do have yes, a little please. bit of an update on a long, long-standing thread on this podcast. Another Bob Rochelle video appeared on YouTube. <gasps> oh, do tell. So there's like four now. For those of you that might be new listeners, I've been obsessed with this Universal Studios stuntman comedian named Bob Rochelle, and mm -hmm. I can't, I've been dying to find out more about him. What's he like? I've scoured everything that I can about him on the internet, but nobody seems to know what's the man like. He died in 2008. 
the first video I ever found of him was posted by a YouTuber named Wicked Lenser. But I wrote a comment on there, and he hadn't seemed to check in for years. Suddenly, two days ago, he posts a new video of Bob Rochelle. <gasps> I comment, say, thanks for posting this. What's up with Bob? He says he didn't know Bob, but he knows people that knows him. Whoa. And so he and I are kind of going back and forth. So I would I would love to talk to someone about Wow. That. Hey. Yeah. That's big. <laughs> so he didn't know him, but he knows somebody who... How's that well, work out? Because he was a teenager and he would go... He was obsessed with the stunt show like I was and he would go and VHS it. And he's posting all these things. So he knew who he was. Oh, so this he, is like a Zodiac sitch where you <laughs> well, found a fellow obsessive. Yes. But he also, though, then went on to be a member of the second cowboy stunt show that happened in the 90s. So he did work there, but he was the generation after Bob Rochelle. I see, I see, I see. Matt, I am so sorry that I'm, I did a screen grab, I would think of this. And Take now that I've built it up, I have to talk about it. What? No, I was just stalling so you could find it. I know, and I now that know. I haven't, it seems like a real mistake. There's no, there, you know what? This is not a podcast about peaks and valleys and setups and punchlines. It's the journey, not the destination. Mm, it's kind of you to say, but we, <laughs> we'll this see is, if I can do we this. We don't go from Pacific Heights to Atlantic depths. We just take a journey from coast to coast. If we have to. Right. Yeah. Sure. Um, sorry, can we pause for one moment? Yeah, sure. Sorry. You know what? I'll fill it just so I don't have to edit. I, I promise okay. to give you good content, listeners, right now. You take as much time as you <gasps> need, Paul. Okay. Uh, um, maybe... Uh, have you seen? No, because I want to be able to lock eyes with you when we talk about this. No, go ahead and look. I'll, I'll vamp, and then when you're done, uh, you know what? I'm going to defend Carter. What's his name? Carter Hayes? <laughs> Matthew Modine's character. No, isn't he Drake Goodman? Yes. Oh, Carter Hayes. Yeah. I think you can make an argument is actually a hero in this movie or somebody you would root for if the perspective was positioned differently. You heard it there, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, my expert witness, Mr. Paul Russ, says, <laughs> perhaps my client, Mr. Carter Hayes, with two brass toilet fittings sticking through his chest as he sits here today, <laughs> oh, he survived. is the hero of this story and not the perpetrator. Just look into his eyes. How can a man so known for playing the Avenger of the Night Batman Batman ever be a blight on society. Are you saying how could he be a villain if he was also a hero? Exactly. You said it here. By definition, a hero is not a villain, and a villain is not a hero. Case almost closed. I have some more points to make. For instance, can a man who's a mister and a mom be bad? That's a good, good point. Can a man who loves his three children so much so as to take on one of the villains of the water, Jaws, who's not actually a villain, and I'll get to that next week when proceedings start. Oh, this is just the Jaws the shark, who's also a vacuum. Okay? <laughs> He's a hero. 
Yes, sometimes he's, quote, doing it wrong. But isn't that just another way to do it right? Isn't doing it wrong just another way to do it right? it right? Because ultimately, it's all about the doing. Now, look at Mr. Drake Goodman and his wife, Patty, sitting over there in all their yuppie glory, wearing Z Cavaricci high-waisted pants, belted at the waist, and there's still a good three inches of material <laughs> upward. Look at that. What... First of all, I'll ask you to judge the character of of these uh, litigants, one of whom, <laughs> this is amazing, dude. as a profession, has chosen to educate youngsters in the art of equestrian, the most sinful of all animal sports. <laughs> Anyone <laughs> riding true. a horse is there to f- simulate some kind of orgiastic bacchanalia. And what the fuck does the other guy do? He runs a kite factory? Who knows? <laughs> yeah, that kite factory is weird. Okay. I can't find it. I'm going to sum it up. Sum Somebody it up. who was very helpful will tell me. But Southern uh, Lawyer. Let me just wrap it up. Please. And yeah. also, I want to hear your thoughts on the fabric walls in the courtroom in this movie. It didn't have the mahogany luster of a, of a courtroom. I, oh, I, I was curious about your thoughts when I saw oh, that courtroom. Isn't that convenient for a flag maker to have a courtroom not lined in paneled walnut, but to have oh, a tapestry of some kind of fabric? Hmm, I wonder if the fix is in. I move oh. for acquittal. This is a kangaroo court of the highest order. <laughs> Retrial. Oh, you suspect the judge is on the take. Suspect? I know it. Judge, what's your robe made of? Oh, nylon? Hmm, I bet it'd make a fine flag. Fucking travesty. I quit. Big uh, kite. Big, big kite. kite. Big kite and big flag. Hmm. Why don't you why don't you get out of here, Patty and the horse you almost literally rode in on? All right. Matt, you are a true co-partner, friend, teammate, that you had my bag there. You got it. Now I'm curious to hear what... what Well, I'll give you the gist. It was well-written, and maybe if somebody flags it, then I can read it for next week. Because it applies for all the movies on our Patreon. But was it on the... I thought in the commentaries for either the when we picked the cozy movies or when we... On Fatal Attraction. But... Um, it was maybe I read it. Hey, too. um, there's been an uptick in people in their twenties and thirties, forties, uh, young people, people under um sixty, let's just say, who didn't get to experience these movies as adults at the time, are now going back to them. It's like this trend that's happening, oh. and. The person was like, you can make a case that it's because pornography's on the internet, so you don't need to uh, 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 go to these movies to be titillated. But they said what really what they think is happening, why they're going back to these movies that had kind of adult themes, was because right now, currently in cinema... It's difficult to find a Hollywood studio movie that grapples with adult relationships and drama. 
And these movies that were popular, these yuppie nightmares, were really just drama pieces that were ways to kind of look at all the shit that people just have to deal with day to day. And I did get to thinking, I'm like, oh, that stuff is now in TV series. Big time. But what you lose, and I love TV, of course, but what you lose is kind of the impact of this is a two-hour movie one about one, one thing, yeah. adultery, yeah. what it does to a family or a unit. When that's in a TV series, it's a thread that's followed through multiple stories and rarely is about is the thing in the show. You also can't sustain suspense for eight episodes of Ooh, yeah. uh, uh, somebody chasing a, a, a crazed woman uh, assaulting a family or, you know, right. like, can you imagine five seasons of that? <laughs> like the fugitive. <laughs> <laughs> they keep going from city to city, trying to outrun her and she keeps following them. Fugitive attraction. Then by season five, they jump the shark where he marries her eventually. <laughs> and then it's the wife who becomes the thing. Uh, uh, but um, the thing that I liked about it was, oh, all of these yuppie nightmare movies, they can each be boiled down to their about one thing that is a real, possibly mundane, boring, complicated drama that people have to deal with. But because these look so slick with attractive people and they're handsomely made, your concerns are just kind of like dramatized in a real and a thriller. Yeah. Just you get some catharsis that's really, really satisfying. Yeah. So like Fatal Attraction's Adultery, this, I was being cheeky about, oh, you have to run out of space. But I do think, and I could have made better choices, I think, in Pacific Heights to like amp this up a little bit but to me it seems to be about like the anxiety fear of two people coming together and having to take on the stresses of shared finances yes of pulling your money together that in the same way that adultery is a difficult conversation to have and fatal attractions kind of poking a stick being like hey you're gonna talk about this it's also this like has a cool little thing of like poking a stick of being like, this is a difficult subject for couples and it's not polite to talk about it at dinner parties about how you're about money troubles or fights over money. So I think that's like a really good starting point for this. It just kind of goes, it doesn't make choices for me that feels like, but it, it does feel like that's what the movie is about. I think is it kind of about like the stress of, pooling your money together so. yeah like in an expressionistic form with michael keaton as the looming dread and anxiety of it all but i'm with you this i thought this started off so strong and i don't get me wrong love this movie all the way through even though yeah. it does feel like this movie was a first draft of a script that they never did a second or third draft on mm. it has a little bit of that don mancini kind of wow, this is just an interesting way. Like the guy that's helping him dismantle the apartment. 
Oh, these uh, kind of little details that are strung along or like the Beverly D'Angelo character. Yeah. Um, you know, she's uncredited. So I thought uh, in the movie, she's not credited. So I thought her name should be a uh, Beverly DeCameo. Uh, <laughs> Neverly DeCameo. Neverly DeCameo. Why is she not? Is that because of herself? Did she not want to be in it? Or was it like we've... Yeah, I'd like to know the... It's more than a cameo. That's the thing. Right, She's right, right. She's in at least three scenes. Huh. It's funny because that's the same year as Bonfire of the Vanities with Melanie Griffith as well, where F. Murray Abraham goes uncredited, even though he has like three or four scenes and is fairly pivotal. Because oh. uh, he was mad that his name wasn't going to be on the poster, so he's like, "Fine, then take my whole." So I don't know if with Beverly D'Angelo, uh, but w- her her story especially seems like it needed another draft. Like whoever the screenwriter was, and I'm not sure, um, Daniel Pyre, Daniel Pyre, like knew in his head what this was, but mm. didn't put everything on the page. Yeah. And this is where you actually do want some studio execs to go. Like, could you? F- Yes. Flesh this out a little bit more. Yeah. Good point that it is like unrefined. It's like, uh, unlike their decorating skills and their flipping skills, this movie, I think, could have used a little renovating. Hello. (laughs) A little touch uh, before. uh, um, Flip it or flop it. Yeah. Flip it or flop it before. uh, um, Because, yeah, what sort of stuff I hear you on that, that feels like a little like, well, you know, Brantley Palmer's notes, um, as always, were very helpful. And he was talking about how in our initial draft. Uh, and this is what feels unrefined about it too, is like um, in the initial draft that Matthew Modine said, Michael Keaton was almost like the, a pansexual character yes. and that he was making a move on Matthew Modine's character just as much as Melanie Griffith's. And that John Schlesinger, uh, a gay man, uh, who's in the elevator and yeah, in I saw the him bald head with yeah. the beard. Uh-huh. Uh, he's cool. I like his yeah. style. Uh, um, uh, not the style of his movies, but his personal yeah. style. Like, yeah. uh, um, <laughs> uh, I mean, style wise, they look his, um, his attitude towards people bums me out. The, the John Schlesinger movies I've seen are pretty misanthropic. They're like yeah. Midnight Cowboy and stuff. I was just like, they're kind of like, people are pieces of shit. And they will, like, even how the desk clerk at the hotel is just so fucking mean. He's like, oh, what do you need? Oh, okay, sure. It's just like, I think it's to give the scene spice, but it's like, everybody's just always a dick. I know. It remind, I felt like this was a movie that was a perfect cross between Brian De Palma and Joel Schumacher somehow. Yes. Because it had a, the, a little bit of the luridness of a Schumacher movie. Well, not that De Palma doesn't, but it had a bit of the darkness of the De Palma. Oh, this totally could have been. Or even of Joel Schumacher, instead of making Flatliners, he made this Hitchcock trip. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and it's, yeah, got attractive people on camera and they're young. And it would be like if the St. Almost Fire people were trying to renovate yeah. a, um Oh, oh, but so. Yeah, he was supposed to be hitting on both of them. And so the like, if that was taken away, um, because it, it doesn't show up in the movie, and John Schlesinger, 
But Matthew Modine was speculating that's maybe why John Schlesinger was initially interested in making the movie. And then when that was out, it does feel like there's something missing there because like, there's only one scene where like, and I agree with you. I love this movie. I love watching it. So, uh, but like there's a, and I'm glad you chose it. Cause I would have, if you had it. Uh, but yeah, and like, I've never seen it. Uh, I don't. I, I, I don't it think it's a joke. great movie. Don't get me wrong. Yeah, yeah, I don't yeah, know yeah. if it's even a good movie. I just these types of movies. Honestly, I'm curious to see if there's one that can do me wrong. Just because the elements are so. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, the thing I was gonna say though was I'm looking at you, consenting adults. <laughs> come on, <laughs> how far, come how on, far you can, you can do it. You can I do it. Come turn on. up my nose. <laughs> um, uh, 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 before I read Brantley's notes, I did think um, there's only really one scene where Michael Keaton is seductive or offers some sort of like mischievous quality to the people. He only gets at the one scene when Matthew Modine first meets him and he's pretending to be a hot shot, Matthew Modine. And but now Melanie Griffith at no point is ever charmed by him. No, I know. So this kind of idea of like a slick guy kind of coming in and disrupting the intimacy of a couple isn't there when that does feel like what it should be. It yeah, in some way. I I wonder if Schlesinger thought better than to have his villain be someone that was either bisexual or pansexual because that was such a stereotype of the times. But what is missing is that they do set him up to be something sinister. These doors are only, you know, only slightly open the door. There's this mysterious guy working with welding goggles. And then you just come to find out that he's just stealing apartment fixtures. That's the big reveal. (laughs) And then they kind of try to up it with this trust fund thing that is very convoluted and not engaging enough for you to follow it for its effect. And then a third thing of he's now on the move to do a little like honeymoon killer thing where he wines and dines an heiress yeah. Tippy Hedren and takes her money. Like that was the other scheme he had. And then which was <laughs> what was so brilliant about what the way you set this up that we do this chronologically is following the trope. So Either the yeah. way the tropes follow or haven't yet picked up on him. Because you see a cat early on in this movie and I'm immediately going dead. Yep. Cat lives. You see his welder buddy and I'm like, immediately, that guy's dead. I even thought maybe Laurie Metcalf was going to die. Yeah. I thought some of the neighbors were going to die. because we Beverly D'Angelo? Yeah. We haven't gotten far enough into this genre for the tropes to fully find themselves yet. Yeah. Well, I felt the same way where it was like they tried to do the cooked rabbit scene, but it's Melanie Griffith coming home and Michael Keaton has built a model of the house and left it in the house. And she's like, (gasps) no, no. How thoughtful. (laughs) And then she throws it out. It's funny. That's how thoughtful. And then when she has a miscarriage and he brings the flowers, it's so funny in both those instances, there's no way to retell that story where you're not the asshole. If you're voting, no, no, no. He dropped off a model (laughs) of the house that we bought. That he made. He made, and we're proud of this house. And he built a model of it and left it for us. Oh, when he found out that we had a miscarriage, he came by, offered his sympathy with flowers. Can you believe it? Uh, That's what they tell the cop. And that's why the cop's so not on their side. The the only trope that they've advanced and not well is 
the the jump scare of a cat. So this time they just put what a pigeon first that's down in their basement. That was uh <laughs> yeah, felt like a uh, a sweaty up ending of a of a trope, which is like we know it's a little hunting to have the cat jump out at her. <gasps> Dude, we'll have a bird jump out before the cat. Yeah, we'll get we'll justify it for this time. This movie's gonna have cred because we're gonna justify the cat. <laughs> the jump. cat, yeah. <laughs> Um, so, um, should we, uh, let's get into it. Yes. Yes. Starting with, well, I gotta start with just the score. This is a Hans Zimmer score Mm. and we open with sex and we open with sax. (laughs) It's sex sax. Uh, and I bet there might've been some special effects there too. So some FFSFX. And if we really would have zoomed in, we would have seen some sack. And who knows that the, the type of people who make love wearing socks with Corley and rust. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too. Like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable, too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. With Corley and what is the story with Beverly D'Angelo and Michael Keaton? They're both grifters and they screwed somebody and that's why he comes and gets beat? Or she's just his down and out girlfriend? Uh, yeah, it seems like he's a grifter and maybe she's quasi grifter. Um, but it does decidedly open. There's another way you could begin the coziness. This is not that. This is opens on non co you know, Fatal Attraction was like, we're picking up yeah. people in their cozy little rich yeah. house in New York, apartment in New York, or or upscale. This, we're like, these people are criminals having dirty sex in the desert? This you know, is the like opposite of what- Modern, you know, those glass brick 80s revival things that's decided. Oh my God. They look, literally look like ice cubes. They're not cozy. At the, um, was it the Sunset Gower Studios or something? They have those ice cube brick. What are those? Glass that is bricks. so. I think they're just called glass 80s, bricks. 90s, coked out. Yeah. Just. But from 50s, 40s, and 30s. Oh. They're, they're a throwback. They came back to in. Deco Times or something? Or? Yeah, yeah. So, like now, how there's a mid century throwback, you're getting the two distinct and separate generations. Same wow. With that. Yeah. Um, Similar to that, like just on that same point, what do you, I guess the house is kind of going through some sort of renovation, but had, 
history. Like what the one they're in in the beginning? Yeah. And what was kind of going on with the um restoration I felt like <laughs> times is this Bob Vila this old house? <laughs> well, was he, I think he was doing it again. I think he was a tenant. Was he And I'm only putting this together right oh. now. So in the beginning, Carter. Yeah. Yes. Okay. So he's doing, and so those guys coming to beat him up, are they the landlords? Thugs? Okay. I hadn't replayed that first scene in my mind of what that meant. Cause I was just, like, I they're just, just setting up that he's a bad guy. So there's this threat yeah. during the cozy time, which I just, I want to see them cozy, then go to a guy in the desert and like, Oh, the cozy could be threatened this right. immediately. I'm it, like, oh, the cozy it's weird to start with yeah. the villain. And, and before you know what the, hook of this movie is to show you a glimpse of it it's not enough that you then go back and connect the opening to that i didn't yeah until exactly this i didn't until you just mentioned it i think it, you know if you're gonna open a movie well this is particularly the problem of the movie i just like you know how you can make the argument that uh, that Michael Keaton is like maybe like a Robin Hood hero who it's like fun that he's going in and just fucking up, fucking with people who are like <laughs> assholes in another world or dicks who we hate. Right, um, yeah. So, uh, but along with that, Michael Keaton is just top five, an actor who you love to watch on screen. He is just so captivating. I'm going to start falling asleep just even saying Matthew Modine's name. He is the biggest Blando Calarissian. <laughs> and Melanie Griffith has to be handled very carefully in a particular type of role to be compelling. This ain't her yeah, thing. Agreed. And so, God damn it, if I'm going to start a movie with these three actors, I guess... I'll start it with Michael Keaton in the desert with Beverly D'Angelo, who's also a very compelling, like... Why not honestly put Beverly D'Angelo and Michael Keaton in the yuppie roles? Yes. Although I did like Michael Keaton in this role quite a bit, but... Yeah. And it made me th wish... I, I was just like, oh, he rarely plays villains. Like, yeah. it, it's crazy. Like, given his eyebrows, I know. his eyes... How he does kind of always have this like little threatening vibe that always, even in his comedy kind and of runs underneath. Sort of jerky, frenetic. Yeah. And when he was scary, like that scene when the very, very end, when he's like, she's on the other side of the uh, ladder and he's oh, like yeah. talking to her and then he goes, Rah! and it, like yeah. reaches out to her. Um, like it, it just made me wish, well, he's great in this. I just like. And like picking up cockroaches off a static TV yeah. screen and looking at the cockroach, yeah. like all that shit I love too. Yeah, but, um, but yeah, I, they maybe this can lead to like if we had alternately cast this alternate titles, like you had mm. brought up previously. Like, I I wanted a different Matthew Modine's thing seems to be he plays characters who are like, I'm struggling with my passivity. Or I'm always yeah his over the top when he would get yeah when he would get angry in this all the time I know it was too much too much dude I don't like seeing you yell at your girlfriend three inches away from her face no you're right this is that Schlesinger thing of I want to be on this guy's side you need to be and yes and it's like um 
Somebody once said I was like, oh, that Beatles podcast I like. Yeah. One of them is an attorney. And he said something that blew my mind, which he was like, in civil cases, the judge will often rule in favor of the person who seems the most reasonable. And I was like, whoa, not just in the courtroom, but in life. That has helped me where I go, not even if I give the illusion of the most reasonable. It's just like, if I approach this with reasonability, I can speak for the things I want. Yeah. Yeah. When Matthew Modine, that scene when the cop first shows up. I know. And he's screaming at the cop. The char- character's obviously mishandling the situation, but the filmmakers are. You're just like, yeah. well, I can't root for this guy. He's and, such a, also, and he's a whiner, too, I how know. he does it. Is it also not illegal for a tenant to change the locks without the landlord's, landlord's permission? That seems odd. I looked this up, and uh, this I will find, because I looked it up today. Um, factual errors for this movie. The policeman quotes... An entirely non-factual law to Drake about a tenant having rights just because a tenant physically enters a building. Yeah, that's crazy. I'm going to go claim the Bonaventure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the whole uh, 12th floor. Right? Yeah. Um, even at the time this movie was made. No tenant has any legal right to remain on the premises of a single family or multiple family dwelling in any state without payment. And furthermore, (laughs) because of Carter Hayes' destructive acts, releasing the cockroaches, physical damage to the unit, Drake had more than enough good cause to have Carter forcibly evicted, either by the city of San Francisco police or the San Francisco County Sheriff. Wow. Good for you. Look at this journalist guy here. <laughs> yeah. I wrote that, Matt. I didn't just screen grab that from the <laughs> trivia section of uh, 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 IMDb. So, um, oh, oh, um, real quick. Can we just talk about the Morgan Creek oh, please, logo? Please, I beg you. Uh, so, this was the last... Morgan Creek production released by 20th Century Fox. And my version had the 20th Century Fox logo scrubbed. Yeah, I don't think mine. Because I think. I rented it on iTunes. Yeah, I watched it on um, Peacock. And it was, it didn't have the, because I think now that Fox has been resold, it doesn't, sometimes the titles get cut off. So it jarringly opened with the Morgan Creek logo. And. Yeah, so did mine. And you know the um, the theme music for Morgan Creek? It went over to Warner Brothers the next year. And since then, I think it's done a oh. lot of Warner Brothers. But the theme music for Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, a Morgan Creek production, was subsequently just pulled and used as the Morgan Creek theme music. So that... Or whatever, oh, that's wow. Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, James Horner score, I think. I don't know. Um, but this is just uh, Hans Zimmer missed out, man. If he had yeah. delivered a good little sting here for the Morgan Creek theme. Morgan Creek. A sax. <laughs> the credits are very impressive here, though. Like you said, Hans Zimmer. Then you also got... Um, oh, this is a stable of character actors. It's incredible. Oh, my God. Every small five-line role is like not just a character actor who exists in five-lines role. People who are 
will be like the fifth biggest character in a movie. Yeah. Just like the dad from Risky Business is just like the loan office or the the hotel manager. Right. Dan Hedaya. I was like, this guy's got to be a major role in this film, and he's not. Can we jump into this Dan Adaya? Um, gate. Gate. Yeah. So, Matt, you know I like to listen to my director commentaries. Sure. I was listening to the director and commentary for Commando. <laughs> God bless you. Two, three years ago. But have you still not seen Commando? Still haven't seen Commando. <laughs> oh, my God. But I have listened to the commentary. So when I watch the we movie, gotta I will We got to do Commando. Know. We oh, got to do Commando. Let's do it. Let's make it our crawl. He's, he's a Jason. He's a Jason? He's just like, a, he's he's like a killer in that movie. <laughs> he's adjacent to Jason. Oh, yeah, he's Jason to Jason. <laughs> I'll watch Commando with you, buddy. It doesn't even have to be for the pod. We could just kick back That's and true. have some laughs. Yeah, drink a spider. Drink a spider to have some laughs. Yeah. Uh, so I'm listening to the Commando commentary. And <laughs> I think the director's Mark... Lester, Mark Rydell, I don't know. I forget. He says, I didn't want to originally cast Dan Hedaya in this role, but the person who worked at the studio at that time, Scott Rudin, asked me to, and so I thought, okay. And so I cast Dan Hedaya. I was like, huh, that's an interesting detail. I know that Scott Rudin produced Clueless, and Dan Hedaya was in that. I thought that. I wonder if there's any other movies that Scott Rudin produced and that Dan Hedaya has acted in. Joe versus the Volcano? No. Especially during this run, you would expect it because it was thick with him. Alien um, 4? Uh, no, not our previous <laughs> beloved Alien 4. Um so I do a Google search and there's a a piece on Dan Hedaya in the mid-90s where it says, he does give some credit to friend producer Scott Rudin, who has cast him in many of his roles. So I did a little homework. Oh, look at the You're Matt, a reporter on the beat. And I had already made my own... I tweeted about it once, like a year ago, about yeah. everybody talks about the Scorsese De Niro collaborations, but nobody <laughs> talks about <laughs> the Rudin uh, Hedaya. And I don't think it caught fire because I misspelled Rudin as Ruben. I would have too. <laughs> that was very Jimmy Glick. I misspelled Rudin as Ruben. <laughs> <laughs> so these are the Hedaya. People Rudin. thought you meant Rick Rubin, the producer, and that Dan Hedaya has all these albums out produced by Rick Rubin. I mean, I love his folk albums, but yeah. he never made those with Rick Rubin. <laughs> um, here we go. If I could save time in a bottle. <laughs> That's a good Hedaya. No, go, go. <laughs> if I could save time in a bottle. Uh, and I told you about his audiobook for the book on tape for Rookie of the Year that he read that my friend and I bought. He reads the novelization oh of God. the movie on a tape that we bought at a truck stop. And he goes, when Henry saw his mom kiss a new boyfriend, it made him want to boff. Okay. He's in I'm Dancing as Fast as I Can, Reckless, The Adams Family, Pacific Heights, which I didn't have on my list before him. Mm. That, that was a new root in Hedaya. Clueless, First Wives Club, Ransom, 
in and out, Marvin's room, and a civil action. Damn. Dude, that's 10 movies. How many De Niro and Scorsese's are there? Not that many. Not, right? not that many. Get to work, De Niro. But also, Scores. like, it, 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 it's a... Uh... Um, you know, people think about it as in terms of like a, a director having their person, but with Fatal Attraction, we saw last uh, last week, the studio said, no, we're sticking by Michael Douglas. Yeah. Get out of here, Brian De Palma. Uh-huh. And in a very small version, it just seems like, uh, hey, Scott Rudin likes you. It's awesome. Yeah. If you're a character actor, you get like, it's just, it's cool. Scott Rudin, uh uh, seems to have great taste and material, but uh, seems to be a volatile man. Oh, really? I don't know anything about him. Uh, yeah, there was a reports, uh, I think in the last couple of years, about he was like... Um, An 80s Hollywood producer is a volatile personality? He's what uh, I think Swimming with Sharks is based on. Oh. And he threw shit at people and... Uh, Literal shit? No. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I did. I didn't know if you're kidding. I thought you were serious. <laughs> they were in a a, a a zoo in a monkey cage, and I was like, "Hey, this is the one time I could get away with this." <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, just wanted to share that. Uh, <laughs> I feel like the history books need to know about this. God bless you. Um, this is the podcast of record. There's a lot of a lot of first time expose <laughs> happening here. Uh, but yeah, lots of people who are just, that's what's awesome about these movies at the time, man. People who just make really good dramas. Scott Rudin, John Schlesinger, a score by Hans Zimmer, costumes by Anne Roth. Yeah. She is the legendary uh, uh, wardrobe person. So like, it's just awesome with these movies. Even when you get like the rare occasional adult thriller now, it's just kind of cheap and they yeah. don't get the best again the i best. think this is before it is a genre really so mm. it's still attracting big big names i think maybe we're done though with that part of it as we move into sleeping with the enemy and because julia roberts is a huge name but she's still on the rise at this point she's as early in her career you're right and then by hand the rocks the cradle it's like and William Peterson in Fear. It's not like... It, it's a little bit what we kind of see in the exploitation horror movies, where Nightmare on Elm Street needs a John Saxon mm -hmm. so they can sell the movie, or yes. Halloween needs um, Donald Pleasance. But there comes a point where the franchise is even more popular, or the power of the genre is more popular than whatever matinee idol or actor that they could connect it. So by this point, it's like, you don't need, uh, um, William, uh, um, hurt as the dad right. in fear now to get people to see this movie. People will just go see these movies yeah. anyway. So put William Peterson in there, yeah. not William hurt. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, this is like Oscar winning Oscar nominated actors and, um, uh, and they're just in the middle of huge hits. Like this is the summer after Batman for Michael yeah. Keaton. Um, within a year and a half of Working Girl for Melanie Griffith, same year that Bonfire of the Vanities came out. These big studio movies. When was Full Metal Jacket? Uh, 
you know, no one has a right to anything necessarily except their own investment. And they can't just call quits on the house because then they would have to probably call quits on the relationship or vice versa. Yes. Yeah. And then for a while I was a landlord because I have, I had this little house in Long Beach that I lived in prior to moving up here. And then when Amanda and I met, we moved in together into an apartment up here and I rented out this, and when I say tiny, 580 square feet, it was tiny. And I rented that out. I hated being a landlord. I absolutely hated it. What did you hate about it? I just, the stress of, there was no message you were ever going to get from your tenants that was anything but bad news. Now, right. They're not going to reach out out and be like, I love you, buddy. Yeah. Or like, hey, fridge is working great. Uh (laughs) Yeah. um, And I had good tenants and nothing was out of line and I strove to overcompensate in those things. But still. I bet you're a great landlord. Well, yeah. Also, it was a time in the in the country where, you know, like the mortgages and everything. And it was, I wasn't losing money, but it wasn't like a profitable venture. I just, the whole thing mm. I didn't like. So, sold that little house in as a way to kind of like rid myself of that emotionally. I wasn't interested yeah. in having it for the long term to make profit. Yeah. But watching this movie is these weird parallels. and And you do understand the stress of it. Because there isn't anything you can hear from a tenant that's ever good news. It, there's just not a single thing. That would which be is such to say a you drain. Have to, you have to then help them. You have to do it. You have a job to do. But it's just, there's no amount of it that's fun. And I guess if you were like making so much money, I don't mean as it's an exploitative landlord, but just rents being what, if you could pay your mortgage down and it was worth it profit-wise, that'd be yeah. one thing. But ugh. But you're so right. Like- you would only hear complaints. The best relationships are sustained by two compliments and a criticism, right? Or whatever. Yeah. Like if there's going to be a criticism, that's... Yeah. So it's like knowing that you're never going to be like the hot water in the shower continued to be hot as long as I wanted to. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, my <laughs> Every shower they take. Yeah. Uh, Just reports, shower's great. I couldn't do that. I couldn't be, that'd be a really hard job. I, I, um, once was in this crazy one night nexus of, you know, Matt, I fear confrontation. I fear somebody thinking I'm being an asshole. I, you know, so there was a lot of buttons to be pushed one night in my apartment, my old apartment when the heat wasn't working. And, uh, 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 my girlfriend at the time, my wife now, Leslie and I are uncomfortable. It's a Sunday night. And so I contact, um, the landlord about like, Hey man, the heat's not coming on again. It's really cold in the apartment. What can we do? This is New York? Uh, this is LA. Okay. It's like 2011, 12. And, um, he previously would just, you know, be grouchy. I pre- I liked the previous landlord a lot more. We got along. And then this other guy came. And uh, so sort of was unhappy in the texts on the call. And then when he came over, he was – I saw him like sp- – zoom up in the car and slam on the brakes and come and storm out Jeez. of his car walking up to my apartment. I'm like, okay. He's upset because he was one of the first things he said to me was like, it's my Sunday night too, man. 
And like, mm. I so get that. Like oh, I, and when you said like that, I had the sting of like, that job must suck when it's a Sunday night. And he was, his eyes were very red. He was a little slurry. Uh, I think he was over with some friends watching maybe a game, having fun. And now he has to li- leave the party to help this fucking nerd with his heat. And, but he comes with an attitude cause he's a little drunk and high or something. And I'm trying my best just to cool the situation and let's just get the heat on, but he's not dropping it. And then Leslie joins me and she's trying to help me out. And then he says, dude, you got to like some sort of control your woman (gasps) sort of remark. And this is what I meant when I found myself in this like interesting nexus, which is like, I don't want either of these people to not like me. I could be in serious shit if neither of these people like me. But it seems in this scenario, only one of these people is going to like me. Who do I choose? The person who could make my living existential life or misery or somebody who could romantically, I could be unhappy with. (laughs) And, uh, well, I'm glad to say I chose my girlfriend at the time. Yeah, I chose wife. (laughs) And I said to him, this took some balls, dude, but I had to do it. And my, these are the tedious, uh, BB sized, uh, balls for me. I was just like, dude, Dude, you're out of line. You can't talk to us like that. Good for you. Yes. And, and I did, saw him yeah. recognize that something, he had crossed the yeah, line. Yeah. Um, and uh, he said, okay, but... And then he left. Oh, God. Man. That was its own Pacific Heights level of suspense. Now, it was better than Pacific Heights. <laughs> I want to say that I, I understand that. And I also want to clarify something too, that, that when I would get contacted from a tenant, it wasn't that I was feeling. And I know you're not saying that. Oh, of course I, not. Yeah, I, yeah. Was, I was more like, I got this feeling of like, I'm either in trouble or I'm letting someone down. Exactly. That's I, why I didn't like being a landlord. That's I why I like, said I wouldn't like it either. Cause that would be the feeling all the time is like, I'm letting them down. Yeah. Why can't they see the good things I do too? Or, that's or my just like the product weird. that they're buying from me is faulty. Yes. Cause if it's, they're only contacting you cause something's broken. Um, I, I guess I was, this is crazy. As a this is how bad a landlord I was. Yeah. Uh, the good news things I would actually get relieved if they would say like, "Hey, I'm going to be a little late this month on the rent," and I would always just go, "No problem," because I was so relieved not to hear that something was broken, and I wanted them to like me so bad. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. And, and and you're like, okay, so maybe now there's also a little bit of leeway yeah, here. We were giving a take it right. Yeah. We could even be friends. We, we can maybe we're buddies. Take the house; it's yours. <laughs> the landlord at uh, Big Lebowski was like, uh, "Oh yeah, dude, it's the seventh today." <laughs> the dude goes right on. <laughs> He's like, so you're going to have to pay the rent. And then the dude gets that. So that means what the landlord said, it's the seventh. And the dude said, right on. He just was appreciative. (laughs) He was telling him the date. 
I think it might be like the 12th or 13th or something, but it is funny. He goes right on. That's one of He's the like, so that means things. you're going to have to pay me. He's like, oh, right. I've never <laughs> Right on. Yeah. It is the day. Seventh yeah. is a good day. Oh, God. That's so funny. Um, so, oh, uh, in that scene too, Matt, we see the villains love their scrapbooks with their little stories of their daddy issues. How many movies do villains have a scrapbook? They love a scrapbook of their trauma. The, that is, oh, that's the first repeating trope. Yep. Yes, you're right. The scrapbook. The scrapbook. Let's I, see. I don't think it's the last time we're going to see it. I bet Sleeping with the Enemy will have a scrapbook. I think Hand That Rocks the Cradle might. Going to have a scrapbook. Has to. Because she had to have worked for another family before. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Misery the same year has an amazing scrapbook scene. Yeah. What are the other scrapbook scenes? Um, Seven kind of does. He's got those journals, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's a big, big scrapbook. Uh, hey, your buddy James Bond had a pretty big scrapbook moment. Inspector? Yeah. Yeah, you're right. That almost kind of looked like the picture in this one of like the weird two brothers next yeah, to each other. With or- a chimp? Yeah. They never explained that chimp, did they? No. <laughs> what the fuck? Maybe they were like early cosmonauts. That was the <laughs> chimp before they sent it Those up to space. Those are the three, three finalists <laughs> to go to space. <laughs> and the chimp was the more qualified. Like, you know what? You, you guys seem to have like trust fund issues. So we're just going to send them. Now, uh, after we see them, we get to this kind of non-cozy opening, right, Matt? Very non-cozy. Then we get a cut to a foggy Golden Gate Bridge with some beautiful sacks. And I love this because, what is this, September 1990 this came out? We're just like right on the precipice of 80s and 90s here. Yeah. Like it's not two eighties, right? It's not two nineties. It's just seeing a foggy Golden Gate Bridge with sacks, yeah. And then this next ten minutes is kind of they're building up the cozy, yeah. But don't feel a lot of love and connection between the Modine and the Melanie. Nah, it's not a good chemistry there. He uh, he slagged on her too afterwards. Uh, oh really? Yeah, he was like, it's uh. Matthew Modine was like, all I remember, she seemed unhappy and was always talking about her period. And uh, Melanie Griffith seemed to be unhappy on set. And this was right before Bonfire of the Vanities. And Devil's Candy, which we both read, has a lot about how she was in a a difficult period of her life during that time. So... Yeah, it just seems like they're not happy to be there. The actors aren't. So even though I like seeing them laying on a sunlit floor in their big sweaters, yeah. filling out. And like, it's so funny when like I'm watching it and I'm like, oh, I just love seeing people walk in for a looking at a place to flip. Yeah. And that are discussing bank loads and vacancy rates. Oh, and I'm like, mm-hmm. he's oh. like, there's only a 2% vacancy rate in this neighborhood. I'm like, mm-hmm. I love it. I love it. <laughs> well, you're about to raise that rate, pal. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now, the house before it's flipped, the big mm-hmm. establishing shot outside, matte painting? 
Yeah, it seems like there's it, a little trickery going on. I think on, it's huh? a map painting. Mm-hmm. It's a locked off shot. Yes. Yeah. What what seemed uh, like the 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 sky, the No, everything seemed real except the house. The house I seems think they like... didn't want to de- to weather it and and dilapidate it in real life, so they just did a map painting of the house. Oh shit. And, yeah. and probably did a little bit of the lower level because you see them walking in and they would have to walk in front of that. Yes, yeah. I think, I'm yes. pretty sure. Yeah, yeah, no, that's Or maybe good. even a digital map painting. Mm-hmm. I mm-hmm. don't know. Yeah, and then when they, uh, when they go in, this is like, it is fun to see people fix something up. Like that whole montage of them. Oh, yeah. Uh, uh, that same summer in 1990, Ghost opens with the sort of same thing of like yuppies splattered in white paint yep. as they like paint their old That's a, houses uh, white. A, that was a <laughs> bucket list goal for me. Even just pure surface level. When we moved in here, I was like, I want one day, just one day where Amanda, the two of us are painting Maybe you're wearing overalls and a kerchief in your hair like that. And we eat a pizza and there's a ladder. Uh, I don't even care if we do any work. I just want yes. to cosplay this. Just <laughs> We can put it all away at the end of the day. Yeah. We, we don't even have to paint one door. We'll hire away. a painter. No, we never did. Uh, yeah. I mean, I remember when I was saw, saw uh, Benjamin Button in the theater and they do a montage of when... Kate Blanchett and Brad Pitt are like happy. And yeah. there's a scene where they're painting a room together and they're having so much fun. And I thought to myself when I was sitting there, that is really when it's the best, isn't it? Except when that you're painting experience a room is together. actually never fun. Oh my God. It's you're so stressful. right. It, it would be like in a montage in a movie, a couple going to Ikea together and having a great time. We're like, no, 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 no. Yeah. That is a rife with discontent. Or just sitting down with their therapist laughing for an hour. <laughs> like naked gun when they walk out of platoon oh, laughing. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The, uh, uh, um, what, 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 what do you think's going on here? Like, the time period seems to be all about like, let's get the scuzz out. Let's clean stuff up. Let's make things look shiny and new. Like, yeah, although that still seems really expensive for 1990, $750,000. Mm-hmm. I know San Francisco is hugely expensive and one of like the top three most expensive cities so, in the yeah. nation. But was it, I know it was always somewhat that way, but never quite like that. 1990, $750,000. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'd be, I guess it's a three unit place, but still. Uh, yeah, that seems, well, it also seems a little like, yeah, the movie's hobbling itself a little bit at the beginning. Cause it's kind of hard to connect with a couple laying down that money. And again, he runs a kite, kite factory, factory and she teaches equestrian sports. How are they affording this if they themselves are probably have some kind of inheritance or something? It's a fuzzy thing in the movie, but it could actually be really cool if it was just a little more like underlined that when it's revealed that Michael Keaton is a trust fund baby. Yeah. They could have a lot of fun with this like thing of like, these two people want wealth and power. They're so in over their heads because in their pursuit for wealth and power. 
And then the person who kind of upends them is somebody who doesn't even need that wealth and power. They got it. They're just doing it because it's fun. Their lives are boring and they're having a fun game. But like to never really then see the couple in dire straits outside of what they're telling us or what we have to assume, I guess that'd be hard if you work at a kite factory and your wife's a a equestrian, like that you would have a hard time paying for it's just like a a little muddled still a trust fund i thought he was cut off from his family um no i think it's that his family doesn't want anything to do with him and he kind of like dabbles now in the grayness of being uh that sounded so pretend like a grifter um, He's, just he's, he's got fun. this kind of safety net always of like his family will bail him out. And they're just sort of like, he's a black sheep. Like as long as he's not getting us into too much trouble, he's the piece of shit that we're willing to cut loose. And it seems that like all this kind of messing with people is, I mean, it's crazy because he, to find out that he is a trust fund guy, the mood, it sort of twists things. Cause at first you think, He's a grifter who's wearing the costume of a yuppie. Yeah, like, that's what I thought. His wallet was. isn't yeah. this is just cash that he all the cash he has is just in this yes. wallet for this show. And he doesn't really own this car or the suit. But he does. It's kind of like more them who are oh, putting wait, on so the show. He's still getting money he, so he's living I could be wrong, but I feel like when Melanie Griffith goes and talks to that final person of the law they're going this uh laurie metcalf he's like this is what he does he has you exactly where you are and there's nothing you can do about it um and uh when it was revealed that his brother is the one running the company it's just like oh because he didn't get it but it's not necessarily that he's not still getting money oh i thought he was cut off and when she says that about this is what he does that's just what what he does in one of his scams, regardless of whether he has money or not. That's how he gets you to go for the bait. Maybe it's like he is cut off from the family, but it's not like he has zero dollars and he's trying to rub two pennies together. It's like uh, he's used that as capital to build his own empire and it's criminal. So maybe he still doesn't get money from his family, but it's not like a... um, yeah, I guess that would be a difference. He still gets money versus family versus he has it in a lump sum and he's using that to accrue. Well, I thought, yeah, he was just making money by doing these grifts and he can buy a suit. He's not paying for the Porsche because he stole it. Mm-hmm. He stole it from right. Has enough money in his wallet to get the grift going. Yeah. That's why he didn't have the full amount in his wallet in the first place. Yes. Yeah. The money in the wallet thing I was going to say with before I read Brantley's notes about there being kind of like a subtext that uh, Mike Carter will fuck anybody. <laughs> I did think when he pulled out that wallet and showed the cash in, Matthew Modine's reaction shot is like breath. He's catching his breath. It's as if Michael Keaton like pulled out a huge cock. <laughs> and Matthew Modine's like, oh, ah. Do you want the place now? <laughs> what can I do to... Um, but it seems like he... I wish... This is what I was just... Like, I do wish there had been a scene where they both meet 
Michael Keaton, maybe not at the same time they both meet up, but eventually the three of them all sit down for a nice homey dinner, candlelit in their little yuppie kingdoms. And it's like the scene in Batman when he's eating dinner with uh, Vicky Vale. They're like having this kind of beautiful like wine and stuff. And they're just charmed by Michael Keaton. Exactly. And maybe you could even pump a little bit of this stuff in that's cool of like Matthew Modine being like, kind of turns me on too. Or like, yeah. does he want to fuck me or do want to fuck you? Does he want to fuck us both? Hey, this is exciting for us. Like having that kind of be how Michael Keaton gets in the door of these yuppies is like by being like, I could fuck either of you. And they're like flattered or whatever, or, or just the, impressed the fact by that his. They're, they're yuppies and so impressed by his uber yuppiness of his success and wealth. And he does this. But they split job. it. What they do is like, you know, in twins, how it's like Arnold Schwarzenegger gets the good genes and yeah. Danny DeVito gets, they split the characters so that Matthew Modine gets all the shit characteristics. Uh-huh. And I think because it's a movie in the late eighties, nineties, somebody has to be the valiant good person. Yeah, Cause she basically goes on a detective's quest. She, she becomes like Nancy drew. It's crazy. And is just a do-gooder the whole time to the detriment of the movie. Like it would be really interesting if in this theoretical dinner where they're impressed by him and go, Oh my God, look at, he's so well-dressed. His wallet had all that cash in it. Um, he seems so f- sophisticated that they're both like, that's the problem they made. They got seduced by material stuff and this guy. But the way they try to scrape it off that Matthew Modine's bad and she's the do-gooder, they mixed it up with that thing with the, I dropped off the form, but it got lost. If they had say. kept it where Matthew Modine and Melanie Griffith make the cardinal sin that they chose a white guy who is wealthy and flashy, seemed more trust, who won't fill out a form, is more trustworthy than a black man who came in. Who's the chief of police or a who's a chief of something? police. Yeah. And they choose the other way. But as soon as they made it like he did bring the form and I would have chosen you as a tenant, it got messed up. And now they're both one. Good and, also, and one's bad. This and is why one's this punished like and one's not. The first draft of the script is yes. you then get that moment again with the the black guy cop mm-hmm. saying, "I dropped that off." Okay. Oh well, no repercussions. Nothing else to do with that story yep, other yep. than the guy's a good guy and still. Oh, then it kind of her. yeah became this like white liberal fantasy of like you can get called out for your shit, but if you atone, then you are forgiven and you have a moment where you like. <laughs> Feel better about your like. You should she gets have little... doctored this movie. You already <laughs> fixed it. I think just having one scene where they're seduced equally yeah. because it, and I don't even mean sexually. It's just like there's no reason at any point why Melanie Griffith should ever trust Michael Keaton. Yeah, or really, yeah. Matthew Modine gets one moment yeah. of kind of being, and it's interesting to be like, oh, a beta can be pushed over by a alpha if he says the right things and yeah why would she be seduced because she's already been off put by him because he's staring at her in the garage in the car <laughs> then he builds her a model and it's like that's supposed to do it no that is cre- <laughs> after he creepier. had her boyfriend forced out yeah. i mean there's no there would be matthew modine would be like if he saw a a, a sliver not a swath, but a sliver of <laughs> Melanie Griffith being attracted 
to Michael Keaton. It would pump up the rest of the oh, movie yeah. to extraordinary levels after that. Anytime to Pacific get, Heights. To Pacific Heights? Not Atlantic Debs. No. But he any scene he'd have with Michael Keaton would be so charged then. Because you're yeah. like, oh, this is money and pushovery alphaness, but it's also like, I think my girl like likes you. This yeah. sucks. And yet <laughs> I'm also kind of into But I'm it. turned into onto you too yes. and I understand how she is. Yeah. Really, yeah. Oh man. A uh, single white female has some of that good like I want to fuck the people you're fucking yeah. stuff. Uh this movie seems to be a little too trying to um make somebody uncomplicated or or not have a scuffy side. Yeah. Um I did like the reunion between Matthew Modine and Dorian Harewood from Full Metal Jacket. Oh, that's where I know him. Is that awesome? Yeah, yeah. They're the same true character and goes nowhere either. I know he pops up in to be like, you could do this. And then Just pops up again to go, okay, you didn't do that, but you could do this. Yeah. <laughs> um, when she reveals she's pregnant, this is weird. She says, the doctor says I'm pregnant. Like, what, you don't believe it? <laughs> I just found that odd. I know. No, are they, I'm pregnant. Are they going just, under the fatal attraction rules of like, you can call the doctor and ask him and he'll prove yeah. it to you. I know you wouldn't take my word, so I'm saying the doctor says. Personally, I don't think I'm pregnant. I just want you to know the doctor thinks I'm pregnant. Not tells me or knows I'm pregnant or I'm pregnant. The doctor thinks I'm pregnant. <laughs> oh my God, yes. So... <laughs> written to be as milk toast as possible. And just as a side-by-side comparison, when Glenn Close, I'm sure in, a, in the opening night or opening weekend when she said, I'm pregnant to Michael Douglas, either a pin dropped in the theater or a collective gasp yeah. of, oh shit. Yeah. I can't imagine in the theater for Pacific Ice when she goes, the doctor thinks I'm pregnant. Because people also already know because she's like, oh, I'm not feeling well. And yes. Amanda, me and pregnant. Pregnant. Yeah, and me too. And because they're not a couple who has tried and failed at a pregnancy right. before. They're just kind of like, well, this sucks now. Now I got to pay a mortgage and you got, you're got knocked up. It's not like child. a... Oh my God, now my feelings for you are really impacted by this information. It's just kind of like, well, this sucks for us. You want to feel worse? That kid is 32 years old. Oh, I watched this last night on the 32nd anniversary. When I looked up Wikipedia on Wikipedia Pacific Heights, it said I did released too. September 28th, 1990. Oh my God. So we celebrated the 32nd anniversary of Pacific Heights. Wow. The only way we knew how. And their kid is 32 years old. 31, 32. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> um, the, uh, oh, oh, we didn't get a lot of their, I, I like some yuppie friends. Yeah. When they first uh, buy the house, <laughs> that whole parade, that whole parade of white sweaters, green glass beer bottles, and glasses of champagne. Ooh, that's a real thirty-something. Yeah, I know. I, it didn't feel like they ever invited them in, though. Just come gather around while I knock this sign down. Yes, I. Oh, another style thing I just wanted to mention. Could Michael Keaton rock some fucking shades in the late '80s, or could he? Yeah. His glass or just glasses, yeah. His spectacles and shades game is on in those Batman movies. Oh, yeah. I wouldn't, 
be surprised if shade sales went up much higher than post risky business. Yeah. His face is like perfectly molded for glasses. I know when he's Bruce Wayne wearing those kind of thin rimmed eighties, nineties glasses. I love them. Yeah. Also Michael Keaton, have you noticed he does this little, he does a lot of, you know how we've talked about how Harrison Ford does finger work. Yeah. Michael Keaton does tongue work. Like if he wants to, Situate a point or something. He kind of does this like lizard-like oh, yes. little tongue out. Yes. Lick a lip to make a point to think about something. He does that when he's talking to Martin Mole when he comes in in the morning and Mr. Mom and he's yep. got the backwards hat on. Yeah. Yeah. Mouth stuff is big for him. Or like when Alfred brings him his soup and the way he spits out the soup and he goes, Alfred, yeah. soup is cold. Yeah. And he also does like a cock. Cockle cock like yeah. shoulder cock thing like an actual rooster like a chicken kind of walk yes i mean he really it's it's so it would be kind of amazing at the time to have seen batman going if when you had seen michael keaton previously when i watch his roles i go oh he's in the mold of jack nicholson like if there was a movie star yeah. before michael keaton who most resembled whatever you know so when they're in that scene yeah. in Batman and he's doing, he's at Jack, out Jack Nicholson when he goes, you want to get nuts? Yeah. Come on, let's, Jack, get, let's get, let's get nuts. And he's making his eyebrows go up and down and stuff. I was like, that'd be pretty cool. They really like are. Jack Nicholson, Jack Nicholson. I know. They're both, they are movie stars in that you always get Jack Nicholson and Michael Keaton in a movie. You don't see them disappear like you would. Yeah, you know, like a right. Daniel Day-Lewis and become another character. It's always suiting the character to them instead of suiting them to the character. Exactly, yes. And their um, their fault lines like run together of the comic and yeah. dramatic. Yeah. Like what's really funny about amazing Jack Nicholson dramatic performances is that on level they're all funny. Yeah. Um, even when he's threatening or yeah. villainous. Um, but the, uh, uh, oh, I also like that <laughs> they show that he's a badass in September on September 28th, 1990 in theaters that he has a keychain that can go boop, boop, and lock the car. I know. And I love the way he does it as a character. Kind of like, Oh, I forgot, yeah, forgot that. Just, Oh, did, That's I, what did I, I do that? Oh, did I? <laughs> did we have a separate close-up of the windows rolling up on their own? Yeah. Ooh. Um, uh, also, it did seem like the thing of like, I could go in and fuck up the relationship was in that scene when Matthew Modine goes, it's maybe my favorite shot in the movie. Matthew Modine's like off camera. And Michael Keaton's on camera. And he's like looking at the bathroom and Matthew Modine off camera goes, just a complete putz. This is after I love that little sequence of the montage yeah. of perspective tenets. Yeah. Just oh, the, I know. It's like the audition montage so in a movie. Great. It's just yeah. like movies are fun. I get to see a bunch of funny things yeah. all at once. Uh but at Matthew D. Modine is such a bad salesman dude. They come right when they're walking in the rain. He's like, rent is this, you have to pay for this. He doesn't yeah. even but um when he's talking to Michael Keaton, total putz, he goes. Yeah, me and my girlfriend, we bought this place. We've never even lived together. We just moved in right now. <laughs> and it reminded me of, you know, in Fatal Attraction, when Michael Douglas says that thing of like, my father only held me when I was crying at Madame Butterfly. And you see in her eyes, like, I got yeah, him. I, got him yeah. I know exactly yeah. how to get my hooks in this guy. 
when Matthew Modine says that, it's just on Michael Keaton's face. And oh. he hears that. He's like, hmm, okay. And then he walks out of the bathroom and does this huge, like, fake smile to Matthew Modine oh, after that. But it is, that. it promises this movie of like, and then Matthew Modine has a dream that Michael Keaton and her had sex in a car or something. But that's really the only times they, and he, she notices that he's leering at her. But that's really the only kind of like sexual. Yeah. It's so tamped down so as to like be weird that it's even in there in the first place if you're not going to do more with it. Yeah. Um, they do speak to the thing too of um, when she says, wait, why did you choose him over him? And Matthew Modine, uh, I thought this was a cool move of the movie. He goes, look. It's not a racial thing. It's just common sense. Yeah, it's oh like, boy. dude, you yeah. are going to get punished oh for that little remark. Drake Goodman is getting canceled. What did you also think of all this kind of, it does seem like a proto, um, what's that called when people, I don't even know the word because I'm so against it, where people move in. Gentrification. Gentrification yeah. that it's like. You see a couple gay couples. You see a lesbian couple. Yeah. You see, you see pride an, flag. Yeah, an Asian American couple and family. Uh, were they Asian? What What exactly were they? Japanese? I couldn't tell by all of the signs that they were putting in there. <laughs> oh, the signifiers of eighty bonsai plants on the stairway. <laughs> He's doing. I assume is Tai Chi or I don't know. That's not Japanese. Is it? That'd be like, yeah, if you're like, um, we've got some new Aust tenants from Australia and you walk in and the walls are adorned with uh, a boomerangs. <laughs> Do you open a closet door, boomerangs fall out. Uh, they are from Australia. I'm going to go sit on this chair. A kangaroo. Uh, <laughs> it's a stuffed koala up on my wall. Uh, now, uh, I, but I did like the the idea that maybe the interlopers here are kind of this like corny straight couple. Yeah, like, that was interesting. Um, but the uh uh, now we know you mentioned Mr. Mom earlier. There are some moments here where I was like. Obviously, some Mr. Bob get by Mr. Bob. Like when she comes over and first sees him walking around the house, and it's daylit, but the rain is going outside. I'm like, ooh, this is like the soap I opera know, fantasy in Mr. I Bob. The same thing. And then when at the very end, when he dies and he falls on those pipes and they go through his body and he looks down, I expect yeah. him to go like, I love this shirt, and move over into the chalk line. <laughs> Or he misses the bars he misses and he moves over and replunges himself on it. I also wanted to imagine that this street, because San Francisco is so distinct, <clears throat> that there's one street, one side of one block that's like eight houses, where every major San Francisco fictional occurrence takes place. So it's the house on Pacific, so then Mrs. Doubtfire, then Full House. What else is there? Uh the 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 those what's up doc kooks are running by on the street at the same as time as the as the rock hummer comes sailing down chased by the car from bullet chased by uh um uh the remote control car from uh uh the pool the dead pool yes and um <laughs> oh, 
Michael Douglas in the streets from streets of San Francisco. Yeah. And basic instinct. Or as Mad Magazine called it, oh. basically it stinks. <laughs> Hi, my name's Paul. I'd just like to shake your hand for that title. Sam Viviano. That's who it was. I was like, Sam Viviano, I'm such a fan of you. <laughs> uh now uh Oh oh when they oh sorry. No good. When they show um He's trying to figure out if, hey, did he move in or not? What's going on here with Carter? And then he go, uh, Matthew Modine steps out, and behind him you see the curtains open for a bit, and Michael Keaton look oh, yeah. out, and then they close before Matthew Modine turns. Matt, it reminded me of the Snow White ride. Do you know what I mean? At Disneyland? Ah, uh, no. Who's the mean queen Maleficent? What's her name? I think she's just the evil queen. Oh, okay. The, hag, the old hag. Or but something. the movie Maleficent, Maleficent That's Sleeping is based. Beauty. Oh, okay. Maleficent is Sleeping Beauty. So it is Sleeping Beauty that I'm talking about. The Sleeping Beauty ride, I think. Is the it, one where I think I there's a window up. It's the one across from Pinocchio. So if you're waiting in the Pinocchio line, you can watch this happen. Where two curtains, I think it's Snow White. Oh. The curtains open up. And a little animatronic queen looks out, and then they close back oh, up. I've never noticed that. Uh, if there's a Pacific Heights ride, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I want like a little Matt Michael Keaton to open up, look out, close the curtains. Uh, yeah, um, maybe uh, I know you and Amanda. I can't wait for your uh, behind Disneyland podcast. Oh, yeah. Devote a whole episode to that animatronic oh, queen. You got it, friend. Uh, what were you going to say, my friend? Well, part of what reminded me so much of a De Palma thing in this movie yeah. was the really gratuitous rotunda 360 shot that De Palma would use in a sense to accentuate the dizziness of romance and <laughs> lust. Yeah. This is crazy. It's just because, oh, we found this circular rotunda in a courthouse. Yeah. What they're talking about at the time isn't even that I know, it's more incendiary. Like, I'm, it's dizzying to hear so much legal information. Jargon. jargon. It, it was so <laughs> weird and so gratuitous. It's to pump up like a boring scene. You're right. Like, oh, it takes you out. I know this weird misapplication of De Palma stuff during, during yeah, a- Yeah, really missing the point. Let us see a little of that during those opening lovemaking scenes. I agree. Um, the, uh, uh, and it just seems clear too that like, it is funny that, uh, Melanie Griffith is really good. She sells, she's the one who sells all the apartments and, uh, uh, is good. Like with a fuse box when it goes yeah. out, Matthew Modine is like so funny it over his head. Yeah. Um, reminds me of Poltergeist, you know, how Craig yeah. T. Nelson is just kind of a doof and yeah. the mom. I wonder if that comes out of like, um, speaking of De Palma. De Palma's like argument, it's misogynist for why he puts women in peril. It's like, it's scary to put a woman in peril. To see a guy in peril is not that scary. Yeah. It's like, okay. Uh, but uh, I guess it's all how you treat it. You could make a guy in peril. But when a movie like Poltergeist or Pacific Heights does that move, like it does still seem to be kind of based on like, even if it feels like um, feminist in a way to be like, it seems to kind of be rude on this idea. Well, they're going to be fucked once the danger hits because the guy's a doof. Mm. 
You like it, yeah. it does seem to be like yeah. that's why it's set up this way is sort of like you can't count on Matthew Modine really being there because he's constantly getting like his arm broken and the I shit know. kicked out of him. I think it's also that proto pseudo feminism of just well if we just make the girl a little smarter and wilier than the man then we're doing our part we don't have to develop her character. yeah we're always good yeah yeah exactly yeah not a real person a superhero right and the man is just a flawed doof not interesting just good yeah yeah yeah, 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 yeah. instead of make it a fully developed character uh i do like when he tries to um get her to go out, he goes, <laughs> Matthew Modine says, what are with? He goes, hey, I got us a reservation at Mama Jams. <laughs> Mama Jams? <laughs> uh, also, I hope that's literal. And they, they go, go to an Italian I, restaurant and there's just an older woman uh, on an electric guitar, like a Jimi Hendrix electric guitar up there with no accompaniment. It's just her and an like an early hard rock cafe. Yeah. Welcome to Mama Jam. And she's just up there. But wearing full Italian kitchen garb like an apron. And all and the just, customers look like Melody Griffith and Matthew Boudin. <laughs> she's just jamming the national anthem. It's all public domain stuff because they'd have to pay. <laughs> like, it's already hard to pay our rent here at this restaurant. You can't pay music rights. You know, some people say that Jack Nicholson goes too crazy in The Shining. I disagree. I think it's right. Me too. But Michael Keaton in this movie. He's looking at staticky TVs and picking yeah. up cockroaches like 30 minutes in. Yeah. Too crazy, yeah. too fast. This now. movie is out of Too order. crazy, too fast. Maybe this movie was meant to unfold like Memento and they just forgot to put the <laughs> framing device in. Well, You could does. re-edit this movie where he brings the flowers, then the model, then he looks at her in the, from the car. You could also, yeah, that's so funny. <laughs> and then like her being like, hmm, what a charmer. Yeah. But you could also like just re-edit this in the way like you know early youtube stuff would do like you could make this like a what about bob comedy yeah right or like the cable guy it is yeah. funny like when he he starts causing a ruckus late at night he comes down also it's so funny that there's sometimes to be like some class stuff of like um yes it was bad that he came in and is uh, uh taking over our space and we can't get him out but what's worse He's like a motorhead working on his car. Uh, heavy metal. I know. This no, fucking not even trash. heavy metal, like death metal. Death metal. Shitty <laughs> royalty free. That was crazy. That would have been at Baba Jam. He was doing that to annoy them, right? To yeah, not them. rather than it being like an actual thing yeah. of his taste. It couldn't have been. I mean, Modine at the end there, like Soundgarden. I was going to ask if that was saying. Yeah. Yeah. The, I love. That like period of pre grunge Soundgarden where they could have easily just been a, a heavy yeah. a heavy band. But why also were they on TV? I guess in nineteen ninety, what was he watching? Uh, one hundred and twenty of- minutes of <laughs> Headbangers Ball. Uh, that when he's watching that, uh, that is the equivalent of the bath getting turned on in the last ten minutes of Fatal Attraction. Yeah. Is when she puts a big blanket over him yeah, on the couch. Yeah. And he's like, snuggle, snuggle, smile, smile. <laughs> time to watch my videos and be taken care of by the lady who Thank just you. had a miscarriage. What the fuck? Yeah, 
Well, it seems like Matthew Modine's thing. I like it if it was like... I like it how he gets it over his head and he's like, I got us into this. I'll get us out of this. Like, it does seem to be like, oh, what if this is the nightmare of you can't provide or you're not offering security and protection? That seems like yeah. thrillery things. Yeah, that's valid. But because he's such a doink, um, a when, the, when the miscarriage stuff happens, I'm kind of like... <sighs> Melanie Griffith, can you use, use this as a reason now to end the relationship? Yeah, you do. Rather than it be yeah. like, I hope they forge together and get through this. You get the feeling that this couple will get married and have and divorce in a few years. They'll have a kid. They'll be, yeah. Also, the unpleasantness of somebody could have a cinematic miscarriage, okay? In my thriller, in my Hollywood slick movie thriller, I don't need to see the blood and fecal matter streaked on the. Well, it it's the, a movie like this that doesn't earn it. I think there's a real good argument for showing that in films when it's when it's responsibly handled. You know, like, oh, yeah. without a doubt. And I think it could even be done well in a thriller. Yeah, where you're like, oh my god, that is horrifying on a life level, but now it fits into the thriller genre too. And right. this is really hitting me. This, it just seems so like unseemly. Again, or, gratuitous. Like, yeah. like this, like the rotunda shot too. It's just, Oh, I gotta have this. Like he's just doing a checklist of things he's seen in a De Palma film. Or, yeah. Or a Polanski film or, or something. Or a Hitchcock. Yeah. 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 Um, uh, then, um, yeah. Oh, 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 oh. Somebody also uh, with our Patreon uh, coined, uh, and somebody can let me know who coined this and I'll mention their name. Uh, we, you know, we were looking for a term of when you go to the legal authorities and they're like, hey, our hands are tied. This yeah. person has every legal right to be here. Yeah. They said in a yuppie movie, those scenes are called nopies. Well, that's great. And this is the second trope. Yeah, it's been in both of these movies as the well. Nopey. Okay, the nopey, so the nopey and the scrappy. Yes, okay. the scrappy book. Yeah, and the nopey cops. Yeah, I love uh, it. I and love they give it. some really funny, as we mentioned earlier, reasons for. Now, hey, get a little Metcalf. Oh. We had Metcalf and Scream too. We got a little more Metcalf I'll here. Take, Underused. I'll take all the Metcalf I can get. Oh God. We didn't talk about who could be cast as who, but if Metcalf had been Melanie, I know that doesn't work in the economy of that movie at I that th point, but I, I think it would be amazing. Yeah, if you cast Michael Keaton as the big wattage star in Pacific Heights, and then you could cast Laurie Metcalf and uh, Alec Baldwin, or <laughs> I mean, just using the cast of this movie, you put Michael Keaton. And Laurie Metcalf as the husband and wife, and then the Orkin exterminator guy as Carter. <laughs> hey, I loved it because I got my Batman reunion. I know Bob, Bob. the Goon and the the. Uh, I guess it's the, the maid. No, the oh. the hotel maid is that oh, character. She? She's the weird Bible woman in Edward Scissorhands. Let me look up her name. Cause, oh, because you also got Miriam Margulies as the real estate agent. Yes. Hal Landon Jr., who's Ted's dad in, in Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, who I've mentioned on this podcast, I believe, before. He and I were 
teachers together at Long Beach City oh. College. He was a theater instructor, and so was I. The most mellow, cool guy. Oh, so that's sweet. cool to hear. Uh, he's really funny in the scene where Ted takes over his body too oh, by his journey. Yeah, yeah, he's great. Um, oh, Olan Jones, and um, she's an actress. She's played religious fanatic Esmeralda, um, but she was also married to Sam Shepard from 1969 to 1984. Really? Yeah. Wow. Um, and yeah, plays the maid who's like. I'll let you in if you really need that. Um, yeah, I liked seeing Bob there. Um, then Hidea pops up. Yeah, there's a um, few more too. I'm trying to remember. Uh, then the stuff happens with Matthew Modine hides under the floorboards and stuff. I thought it was such a funny little movie thing. That the exact moment he's eavesdropping is the moment where <laughs> Michael Keaton has a very key conversation, argument, and fist yeah, fight. Yeah. <laughs> In like 20 seconds, he's like, oh, perfect. Pretty great. Um, and then I liked seeing some cockroaches fall on Matthew Modine's face. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. If I would have been the bug guy that day, I was like, I think we need another take. <laughs> that goes for 12 minutes. <laughs> Did you notice a couple times they show phone? It's weird. They show phone numbers a number of times in this film. And one of the phone numbers a couple times has the prefix KL5, which I assume is a way for them to do 555 without seeming like the yeah. tired old 555 thing. However, there are other numbers shown in this film that are full normal phone numbers. Really? That's weird when movie. What, what do they think they're getting away with with KL five? KL five is so fucking antiquated what? too. Like, like that's yeah, the like most Hitchcocky thing. Transylvania like a, six five thousand or whatever. But like that sounds like, yeah. Can you hook me up with KL five twenty? Yeah. Huh? One second, Sarah. I'm uh, doing that wire thing where I'm transferring the calls. Klondike three two one for Mister Richards. Hmm. <laughs> Dial T for tenant. <laughs> Dial F for closure. That should have been the title. F for closure. Dial F for for for, 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 for closure. Dial. The worst title. In the world. <sighs> Evic eviction notice is that? Yeah, the title that's of good. The movie or eviction? Uh, hmm. Like. Whatever fatal attraction is that adjective noun? If it was like, uh, exqu exquisite eviction. eviction. There you go. You nailed it. You nailed it. Exquisite eviction. Um, uh, can we talk about his little crazy dream sequence? Yes. Yeah, What's up with that? I don't know. It was so out of place, and it was like a. It was like a video. They should have put a pop song on it. It did seem like a music video. And it was such a funny escalation, too, because it was like a demon dancing in the apartment. Oh, no, now I'm seeing my wife hook up with a man. And now in the shower, in the bathtub, uh, roaches. Uh, <laughs> what, what a funny de-escalation. What pop song would you put under that to make the perfect video? <laughs> Don't forget me when I'm gone. <laughs> I don't know. That just popped in my head. Don't you forget about me. No, what What would be... I do my talking in my sleep. Oh, yeah, that's pretty good. 
When I'm talking in my sleep. Our house. Bum, bum, bum. In the middle. That's good. Um, if if the Morgan Creek logo had come up on. Wait. That's Come On Eileen. Yeah, that's not. <laughs> well, it should have started on Come On Eileen, and I think we can all agree that. Uh, <laughs> Uh, um, Eileen's like, uh, can we not? Uh, <laughs> I went on a deep dive of that. I don't have time to take a band shower. And what went on with that band? What happened to them? Ago. Well, he, he was all that guy, the one you see doing the like pitch wind up in overalls and a little tam. He, I think, was like a tyrant with that band, but it would change their image pretty much every album, but not out of a sort of like, oh, this album will do a different theme, more like trying to always create something new. He seems like a real tool. Relentless oh, I uh, love thirst. that song. I love it's that good. song. It's good. I dressed mean, as a Dexy's Midnight Runner for Halloween once. <laughs> Carried a little bit. What did it look like? Well, was just it? overalls with a, you know, no shirt and a little beret and... I went to uh, over the last week, and I went to a Sopranos uh, Madman party. Oh wow! And uh, uh, I like uh, I love both shows. I prefer Mad Men a little bit more, but it was so much easier to dress Sopranos to dress like a yeah. I'm just gonna put on some uh, uh, Adidas pants and a uh, undershirt. Yeah, uh, I don't want to go and put a suit on. No, no uh, way. Um, uh, Were there more Sopranos or more Mad Men people? Way more Sopranos. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. Um, what do you prefer, Matt? I'm a Sopranos guy. I think I liked both. But yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, you don't have to choose. But I sometimes like throwing little firecrackers into the, like into, into the discourse. Yeah. But I am moved more by Mad Men. When I watch it, the thing that I think is like so amazing about Sopranos that like when I watch it, I'm just like knocked out is like, I'll go, oh my God, this mafia stuff. Tony's really in over his head. This is like the worst it could get for him. Oh yeah. And then he goes home yeah. and I'm like, it's worse. Yeah. It's amazing. Like that I know. ongoing, I was like, that's actually more stressful at home. Yeah. Uh, for Mad Men, you know, just the stuff of like what people show what they keep hidden. That just stuff is easier to hit for me more than, um, ooh, my career, my family life are both really high stakes, which I think people do feel and can connect with yeah. that. But um, the other thing with Madman is like, I'm just so impressed that like, they could have such tension and drama and there ain't a, a gun to be seen. Although do you Nobody can the get one whacked. episode? Nobody can get whacked. It's like, to be able to feel the drama of like, oh, just if somebody got fired and wouldn't be able to show up at work anymore and see their friends or their like people they're trying to like seem cooler than, uh, yeah, it's it's real high stakes. What, what were you going to well, say? Well, do you remember though that I think that at one point they they realized they they they'd run out of that and in, introduced a riding lawnmower into the and cut a guy. Well, they leg find off. times for violence and stuff yeah. that's like good and and uh uh um. Uh, it's also when I'm willing to have the the fight of I prefer Casino over Goodfellas. Oh, interesting. Yeah, but that's another time, Matt. 
I watched Mad Men first run, but I didn't watch Sopranos until much later. So I knew the ending. Everybody talked about it. And I ended up really liking the ending because I didn't have that initial shock of not knowing what was going on. Yeah, I watched Sopranos first, then saw Mad Men. Mm. And uh, similar to how we're watching these in order, I even though I was saying, oh, I prefer Mad Men, I grant and acknowledge if there were no... There was no Sopranos. There would be no Mad Men because Matt Weiner was a writer on right. The Sopranos. And the original pilot for Mad Men was like Aaron Sorkin. He said it was more like The West Wing. Oh. And then when he went to Sopranos, it influenced the. Mm. Um, but um, anyway. I just want you to know that let's keep going, but I have one final. I only have one more note. Yes. And it is. No, this is not to speed it up, but I just want to say it's the last note something I want to talk about at the end of this film because it's a doozy. It's the notes, not a doozy, but I don't want to oversell it. I'm just no. saying the last note I have is I feel like I really want to do you want to share it now. No, I'll save it till the end. So okay. let's go through your notes yes. and let me know when you're at the oh, end. Oh yeah. 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 Uh, just, uh, don't, uh, don't rush. I'm oh just no, saying. no, no. Um, um, the, uh, 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 Sorry, people for that moment probably were like, did I just lose the podcast? Uh, 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 um, um, yeah, Drake, I just like love how he continues to be a putz. Like when they discuss breaking up instead of like being valiant and being like, no, we're going to make this work. He just gets like pouty. Yeah. I know. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and then um, uh, also, but Carter has like no game. Like he gets Matthew Bodine thrown out, and then he calls up Melody Griffith and goes, "I really think you and I could have been friends." It's like, dude, you're this going about this thing. all wrong. It's like he's like bipolar or something. The way he thinks, he thinks that this could be same with the model and the flowers. Yes, where he shows up in person and is acting. I mean, maybe that's part of the grift. There are sociopaths like that, not and, bipolar. Well, so. and then look how happy Matthew Modine is when he gets out of the house, and his wife is like threatened by him and calls him up and he's over at his buddy's house cooking together and laughing. Yeah, he's and saying, why don't you come on over here? He really is a dumb douchebag. Um, um, that scene also when they're Laurie Metcalf and somebody else are walking through the hallway is also really weird because it's like 80, 70 minutes into the movie. We have never had a scene that doesn't involve one of these three main characters. Yeah, yeah. Just out of nowhere, it's like, we're going to talk about the legal ramifications that these people are in. Again, love the movie. Um, uh, <laughs> I feel like there was... Um, it... It lost his power kind of lost the moment once he I didn't understand it. I thought that they were building up to the reason Michael Keaton could beat up Matthew Modine was because he had a um the agreement to like he had to keep five hundred oh, feet of distance. Self-defense. And so it was like self-defense. Wasn't that the case? No, because then when he goes to the hospital, they're like we need to go and get Carter. And that's when they break into the house and they, okay, we'll go and check on him. And they break into the house and they go, it was such a weird, like, oh, now she does have the upper hand because then it was like, he's on the run. 
and they needed the police needed to talk to Carter, but he left to Los Angeles and now she's got to track him down in Los Angeles. It was such a weird, like this should be the moment when she most receives the news of like, you're fucked. Yeah. The ball is not in your court. It feels like such a first draft. And then they do that weird thing. The last 20 minutes here is like, this could be cool. I like it when the person who's been using bureaucratic red tape to their favor now, when she's doing the thing of like, I'm playing mind games on you. I'm dropping your wallet off and I'm making it tough for you to get back into your room and stuff. Um, but, uh, what I felt when I was watching it was just kind of like, this is when I was like, but Michael Keaton's the hero here. I know. Like, I don't feel this like, go oh, good. Like, when Michael Keaton's trying, uh, 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 when Michael Douglas, the Michaels here, is trying to like, find some space for himself in this vice he's gotten into in Fatal Attraction, I'm kind of like, rooting for him. When she's going and fucking with Michael Keaton, I'm just kind of like, you traveled all the way down to Century City? Yeah. It's such a weird... Oh, I didn't even put that together. So did she drive yes. from San Francisco to LA? <laughs> and, uh, you oh. know, the movie's a 20th Century Fox movie. They're staying oh, at the God. Century City Marriott, which is just a stone throw. Like, it just seemed like a <laughs> they got a deal. For sure. <laughs> For sure. Um, Do you think they still wear those plumed pith helmet what was that <laughs> those feathery helmets i know was that i when i saw it i was like it was the one moment where i was like are we in a fantasy world <laughs> is this oz that would make more sense i also like that the ultimate nightmare of this movie you know at this point in the movie time market it's like in fatal attraction it's like oh my god the woman i slept with has abducted my daughter yeah and this is like she grabbed it. It's like, you guys don't understand. We put so much time flipping this place <laughs> and he trashed it. We're going to have to renovate this place all over again. You don't know how annoying this is. <laughs> the stakes on this are so low until they become life or death, but they are presented. Just, I can't tell you what every time they'd crack that door and his buddy, the scavenger, is in there. I was literally thinking, I have no idea what they're up to. Up to. What, what What? could this possibly be? Are they dissolving bodies? Everything I thought of was so sinister and heightened. And then just come to find that they were removing fixtures. Yeah. We're going to take these fixtures and sell them at a pawn shop for the handsome price of yes. $225. It's basically just... <laughs> storage wars or roadhouse pickers or antiques roadshow or whatever. Oh my God. If the credit sequence at the end, the credits are running over them, that kooky guy showing up at antiques roadshow with all the fixtures. <laughs> like that's the little funny day to That's fucking it. You know how much I, you know how I paid more for fucking cockroaches. By the way, how much this jar of cockroaches is worth? <laughs> oh, well, this mason jar is actually an antique. Fuck, no, fuck that. Cockroaches have been, <laughs> been here since the beginning of time. That's got to be an antique. They're gonna, they say they'll outlive nuclear hockapalops. So then she goes and does her Nancy Drew. She crosses paths with the guy who was the previous tenant. Um, 
she finds out about Carter and his family trust. How does she find out about it? Um, through a scrapbook. Oh yeah. <laughs> um, I loved uh uh Carter's look at the hotel. His kind of casual oh, look yeah. with his glasses and the, the dress jacket. Also, when Carter went. To that fancy house when she's stalking him. Uh-huh. She follows him to that fancy house and he walks in. I was just hoping that she was going to like go walk over to the backyard fence and peek over in the backyard. And she sees Michael Keaton participating in a foot race against Martin oh, Bull. Oh, God. Oh. She's like, the tension and suspense is like, will he throw the game? Oh, my God. Terry Gar could get fired if but he wins Carter this. Carter Hayes doesn't. Carter Hayes wins. Carter Hayes wins. He's the opposite Jack. And then he steals Martin Mole's mustache <laughs> from his face. Martin Mole's mustache. From literally right from under his nose. <laughs> oh I uh, read um, Harold Ramis had a, um, a home invasion, and it was Martin Mole who uh, saved him. Like, made the call, knew something was happening, and made the call for the police to come. Really? Yeah. Wow. <laughs> Martin Ball, the hero. Um, I wish you had more details, frankly. <laughs> no. <laughs> I wanted to respond frankly, more. Frankly, my ball, I wish you had details. <laughs> I wish you had deets. Uh, you guys can look up. <laughs> Yeah, he can't research everything. Yeah, I can't research everything for you guys. That's just a little breadcrumb. Uh, uh, I like that, you know, if if in these thrillers, it all comes down to like what close-ups are really good. Uh, there was a close-up of when when Patty's like, I'm putting the moves on Carter yeah. now. Yeah. And they have a close-up of her empty cocktail glass in the hotel yeah. and the ice cube Goes, oh god. Uh oh, look out. The ice cubes are going tink. But it was like a rack focus shot, right? Yes. Or or blurred shot where you also see her leaving. Leave. Yeah. I mean leaving with the tink. This is where this director is he's so seems so interested in in gimmick shots. And yes. He's completely forsaken the movie and story. Well, yeah, because with Fatal Attraction, it has like that expressionism of like, oh, when it's raining outside, it's yeah. because it's the, and there's a blue light, it's because they're sad. But yeah, right. with this stuff, it's like, I don't know what the ice cube tinking over. Um, and then, yeah, this is um, a really weird, you know how I said, oh, we can, maybe in these movies pinpoint a part in act three where somebody acts really crazy yeah, and it's just not, they didn't do the work of like, Oh no, they were always going to buy that country house. They're just moving into it to get away from her now Yes, in fatal attraction. (laughs) For me, it was when, um, in the last 20 minutes, they expect us like, Oh my God, I hope Carter doesn't take the money of this rich heiress. Oh yeah. Ticking clock. Yeah. We got to stop him before he steals <laughs> Melanie Griffith's mom, Tippi Hedren's money. <gasps> that's who that was. Yeah. Oh, so that's Jesus. the other little Hitchcock thing in this. Tippi Hedren's Melanie Griffith's thriller mom is in this thriller. And dumb. I mean, it's not for good purpose. It's not it's just like, oh, she plays the heiress. Um, but uh, uh, 
<laughs> when he's just running down the street after her in front of the hotel, I was like, oh, this has gotten a little too yeah. silly. There has to be a genre of movie where a child of a famous actor makes a movie and gets their parent to be in it. And you wonder if their movie was courting that actor in the first place and used their child to get them in. Or if it happened after the fact, like people mm-hmm. will often ask mm-hmm. me, um, something to the effect of like, could I interview you for this? Or will you be on my podcast? And then five sentences down or a paragraph down go. And if, and if you wanted to ask Conan, if he wanted to come too, uh-huh. when you start to realize, Oh, that's the reason you're asking me in the first place. You're mm-hmm. not, you're not even, I get it. But do you think that they were after, they went for Melanie Griffith first and then she was like, I'll ask my mom or. Yeah. Cause there's also a Bob Rochelle movie that Martin Landau's in because his daughter's in the movie and clearly he's doing her a favor cause it's a nothing movie. This is so crazy. Cause this morning I read about a movie I never heard of called the curse with Will Wheaton that sounded like a really uh, awful, awful set to have to work on as a child but the reason he was pushed into it was because they offered a part for his sister and they said if you do this your sister will get a part too and he felt pressured to do it well so see that's, that's the the opposite side of the same coin of like we'll do someone who's less than you a favor less in the, the hollywood lens as opposed to oh. if we put you in this maybe we could get to your more famous parent or yes something. I mean, I've thought sometimes somebody will cast somebody because then their work will be seen by their famous parent or something, you know? Uh, yeah. Like, did they, did uh, Shud Cunningham cast Bing Crosby's son in front of their team? Because he's like, I want to make sure Bing sees my movie. <laughs> Bing is the notorious genre B movie horror slasher <laughs> film tastemaker of our generation. He'll probably write a song about it. Um, just my last couple notes Um, some uh, reoccurring tropes Uh, yuppies are great but the TV they watch is trash they had that long thing about the faux pony desk set that went on forever I thought that was a dream sequence (laughs) Uh, uh, and then this is like two months before Home Alone so I was thinking like, oh, when he comes in and starts breaking into their house, she should have just set up some funny traps oh, to keep yeah, them out. Yeah. We would have also laughed. But it also seems to be kind of plain in the Lethal Weapon. Was it part two or three? Has like a new... I love an action sequence like with nail guns falling through like tarps and oh yeah, things that are yeah, being I refurnished and reconstructed. That was such a big time. Was it that pneumatic nail guns were still kind of new on the scene or they'd only been there long enough for movies to just start recognizing I think it's also just like in the same vein that like, oh, the reason they're making domestic thrillers now is because boomers, this the biggest age group that's been born in the history of the world is now married and has kids. This time I'm like, these fuckers are all adding wings to their house yeah. or remodeling. It's just what's in their fucking brains. And so it's like, <laughs> yeah, uh, Michael Keaton puts a nail gun to her head. And I was like, yeah, I know. How'd you think be. of that? It's 
there's eight nail guns in my garage right now because we're putting on an extra house. Richard Donner, every time a Lethal Weapon movie came, can we have it somewhere where like a house is being built? I know. And also, hey, you know, I'm a boomer. I got these kids. They're always playing with these new triangle bullets. Could you put that? What's that? Well, that's one of the plot. Is it Lethal Weapon 3 where the <laughs> villains have triangle bullets? Yeah. It's so yeah. stupid. Yes. So dumb. <laughs> It is what the parents are dealing with. I also tried that in a gun in the like middle part of the 20th century. You tried what? They already tried that too. Triangle bullets. Did they? Can't work. Why not? Because it won't rifle like a round bullet. It won't spin. So it won't go as far. Well, you know, uh, my theory of how you can um, end uh, gun ownership by like 80%. You could just make it drop and we solve this gun control problem. Oh. Don't make guns look like dicks. Make them look like pussies. No man wants to walk into a bank and hold it up, hold in a big vaginal object where the bullets shoot out of like the clitoris. I'm so sorry that I'm saying this. That is funny. There is such a weird... You don't think there's any connection between these be. twisted up brains of these people who go and kill and their dicks, and then they love to spray in bullets out of their little fake dicks? Just have a labia... <laughs> That you have to hold, and instead of a trigger, you have to like rub the clitoris to climax, and then only then, what's the clitoris has oh been satisfied? God. Will there be bullets released to kill somebody? Okay, buddy. And then only feminists, beta males, and lesbians would become criminals. But I love the thought of anti-gun legislature coming up with this plan and somehow loopholing it through. Because it would. You'd be like, well, it's still a gun. It's still like... It just has to look... It just has to look like a vagina. It has to be recognizable as a vagina. It can be interpretive. It can be functional. But you have to... The first second you see that thing, you have to think vagina and not gun. Instead of having this phallic object that goes right on your hip, yeah, three inches away next to the thing you're trying to replace, and if you anything, have to wear it on your throat. Oh. You have to wear like a vaginal gun on your throat and exposed at all times. I was going to say, the holster is not a hole you put the gun in, but is in fact a dildo protruding upwards that you... Then put the vagina gun on. <laughs> That's good. Yeah. These are the things you have to, to appear wearing if you want to use a gun. This sound. This checks the out. Yeah. Vote for me 2024. Now think of every movie you love. Dirty. Like he- <laughs> I know you're asking yourself. Dude, do you feel lucky? You're gonna get Did lucky he shoot tonight. three bullets out of that clitoris <laughs> or four? <laughs> Deer hunter. <laughs> Every Russian roulette scene. Oh, heat. Oh, my God. <laughs> Full metal jacket. He has to do cunnilingus to kill himself. <laughs> And then just like classic military issue war movies, like Platoon is the exact same, but they're all just carrying vaginas, the whole squad. And they're kind of like, yeah, they're what, like three feet long? Yeah. How long? What's the length of a actual of a rifle? Oh, (laughs) three feet. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, I guess maybe. 
three feet. Yeah, so you got like this right on your back. You're holding on a strap. Is this a wow? That's great. So uh, we'll put that out there. We'll see if uh, yeah, go for it. it. Is Introduce on that bill. platforms. Yeah. Um. Uh. The, at the very end, uh, she says in the last scene, and I thought this line should be in every last scene of a movie. Okay. She goes. We tried to restore it to its original state as best we could. Isn't that what every last scene kind of is? People yeah, going, yeah. we tried to restore these things yeah. to the original state as best we could. We, we tried to get back to the feeling and situation present at the opening of this movie before <laughs> the call to action acceptance happened. And the, the tenant, that prospective yuppie renter, at the end, which I didn't really understand that ending of like, it all starts over again. But yeah. uh, uh, she's April O'Neil, I think, from the Teenage Mutant <sighs> Ninja Turtles That's why I recognized movie. her. Um, real quick, the Michael Keaton in genre, horror genre stuff. Yeah. The, I want to hear your final. No, but did I, I told you about Michael Keaton and White Noise when I saw him. White noise. The new white noise? The no, movie? no, no. Like in 2005 or six. Okay. He was in this movie that was kind of like, remember that Dennis Quaid movie Frequency? It was oh, like yeah. the horror version or thriller version oh, of Frequency wow. where his son dies and he thinks oh. he's maybe hearing him in the white noise of speakers in his house and stuff. Interesting. So my friends and I, this is like 2005, I'll make this really quick. We go to City Walk and we see this white noise on opening weekend. And we notice while we're there, they got these little cameras set up inside the oh, thing. Oh, yes. They're videotaping it for a commercial. Did I tell you this? You did tell this. Okay. So but, but when, you, when my friend, uh, when we were asked to give our response in line and he said, it's a buffet of scares. <laughs> we said, let's try to be as serious as possible so they'll use us in the commercial. And they're like, what'd you guys think of the movie? And collectively, all five of us went, oh, my God, it was a buffet of scares. And they didn't use it. They didn't use Surprising. it. But then we walked away, a guy waiting in line. As we walked by, I went, fakers. <laughs> Destroying the sanctity of cheap TV review criticism. Uh, but if somebody can find that TV ad, uh, you do see uh, Neil Campbell in the theater on uh, whatever that in, in darkness videotaping. Oh, yeah. What's that called? Night, night, night vision. vision. Doi. Oh, night vision. God. You see Neil like city to see but i think even when he was watching the movie he was like reacting big so that ah. <laughs> uh but that's some of the greatest lost media matt I tv agree. ads <sighs> we'll never get to see some of those again um i just want to talk about the final shot of this movie yes which is sums this movie up in in how much I love this movie mm -hmm. and also what the fuck is happening. Mm -hmm. It's not that this is a crazy final shot. It's just off center enough. So as to go, what the fuck <laughs> they paint a helicopter zooming out shot of the, of a building where just two guys are playing <gasps> guitar on top of a roof, which is not unheard of, but it's just enough for you to notice and go, well, don't, don't we need to know about what's going on? That are was the, very odd. Are the Bacon brothers in town? What the fuck is happening? <laughs> are they introducing their new brand of Foro Soco? <laughs> Folk rock, rock, soul, and country? Those Bacon brothers? 
Yeah, we call it Full Rose Soco. Is that Dave <laughs> Matthews and the and other guy he used to do things with when he wasn't with his band? Someone? Oh my God, that was really wild because it was so, yeah, it was kind of ending on this slightly, not Twilight Zone, but kind of like a, ooh, it could yeah. all start over again. And then at the end, two dudes on a rooftop. Viagra commercial. Do you think those guys even knew they were in the movie? I don't know. It like it's just otherwise, guys. probably not. Because why would they? What's he yeah. said? I need two guys playing guitar on a rooftop. We also don't hear it. It's a silent shot. Yeah, the movie should have started with those two guys on the rooftop playing, yeah. and then when it ends and it goes back, we're like, "Hey, they should have been the out. chorus of the playing. movie." Let me tell you a little story about a yucky tune, and then they come back in every once in a while. And that was just a dream. Hey, isn't Modena Pud still though? He's got good hair. Well, let's rate this some bitch, huh? Yes, yes. We didn't even take a break. Can you believe that? I know, and I, oh. my bladder is full. Me too. So full metal bladder. Uh, we each gave full, full, full metal attraction. Pee pee bladder. Uh, <laughs> That's Vincent D'Onofrio. I'm sorry, I interrupted you to say <laughs> full pee pee bladder. Okay, go ahead. Full metal attraction. We each gave <laughs> thirteen. What are you going to give Full Metal Heights <laughs> out of thirteen? Atlantic depths. I'll give it mm, an eight. That's what I'm giving hey. it. Wow, we are simpatico in our ratings so far. 13, 8, 21. So that means uh, 10.5 average for these movies. <laughs> Let's see if Sleeping with the Enemy can come in at a 10.5 and split the diff. Now, Matt, uh, I'm really excited about Sleeping with the Enemy. I only saw it once and it wasn't, I can't even check it off in my mind as having seen it because I was too young and kind of in and out. Yeah. Have you seen it? I have, but I don't remember anything other than I think I mentioned this Patrick Bergen's cool mustache. Yeah. You get a mustached ex-husband killer, I believe. Early Julia Roberts. I yeah. know nothing else about it except she takes a bath and I think the way she enters her house is through an external staircase. That's all I remember. <laughs> I remember this guy, he likes things to be tidy oh. and he lets his presence known through tidiness. There's something else I remember, like an essence of fall. Like it's, is it either Pacific Northwest or East coast? It's like coastal chill. There's a, uh, if I remember, cause I'm from Iowa. So I think they tried to do a thing where she goes from one part of the country to Iowa or Iowa to the other part of the country. Cause yeah. Um, so maybe there's something like a, a climate change from when she, Oh. moves uh but um yeah really just so thrilled uh to watch the movie i can't wait to see it and and it seems like this one will be um you know the thriller is the thriller but the real life thing sometimes Matt, people go through messy divorces sure I, this seems to be maybe the messy divorce thriller i next. think you're right yeah. will we see a scrapbook will we see a plea to the cops and they won't listen we'll find out um also, we got a special mailbag episode coming up next week, or it'll be the second Tuesday of the month. We're recording next week. Fun. Trustees, Umar Ditta, Dustin Kraft, who are so pivotal in making the cozies, yeah. both awards and tournaments yes. happen, and Brantley Palmer, who provides us with notes, will be joining us for oh, a mailbag. I'll so put up fun. a post on Patreon where you can ask specific questions for that mailbag hey, episode right. regarding them, their work what it's like to be a trustee, all that stuff. So yeah. check it out. 
And um, yeah, and thanks so much for uh, people who uh, listen and people who join the Patreon. Everybody, it's just a, it's a real. I, l- I love doing this pod. Me too. Okay. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye. Bye. For more Gorley and Rust content, head over to patreon.com slash with Gorley and Rust to get episodes ad-free and a whole week early, plus monthly mailbag episodes and feature-length watch-along film commentaries of your favorite horror classics. That's patreon.com slash with Gorley and Rust. Email us at withgorleyandrust at gmail.com and your questions might be featured on a future mailbag episode. With Gorley and Rust theme song by me, Matt Gorley, and performed by Townland. You can find us on Instagram as Townland Band, as well as Paul's fantastic band at Don't Stop or We'll Die. And why not rate and review with Gorley and Rust on Apple Podcasts? It'll help us grow the show and keep us trucking through the Jasons and the Michaels. The leather... Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Faces and the Chuckies, the Aliens and the Candyman.